and like all these like directors who have these you know names they shouldn't have and everything <laughs> like that. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. everybody welcome to the sincast this is chris atkinson from cinema sins joined as always by the voice of cinema sins jeremy scott howdy and from music video sins barrett share hi everybody <laughs> dr nick yes <laughs> holy smokes you need booze <coughs> uh so once again this is the th- this is the 30th anniversary wow. of what we've been doing here uh the you know we started with 1975 because this is the best of the years we've been alive and uh, Jeremy, what was the? It was a question that we got, right? That yeah, was- somebody somebody asked me to go through all the years I've been alive and pick my favorite movie from each year, and uh, we turned it into a podcast topic, which was accidentally one of the best ideas we ever had. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now today, here we are, 2005. Hey, Ma, can we get some meatloaf? Waving to the girls in the stands. He's kicking me to high heaven. You were the chosen one. Sir, I got lost on the way to college, sir. We've been talking about Jackson. What is the point of all those push-ups if you can't even lift a bloody log? There was like an 8% chance. Eight percent. Was that just 8? 8? Yeah. Who taught you math? Hope you have a big trunk, because I'm putting my bike in it. A year that is fairly notorious for one of us in this room. Yes. Um. So 2005 uh, was a year that, for whatever reason, I watched every major release that came out. Um. That's I, like give people an idea how many films we're talking about. Um. I actually really don't know. I. I. I have. I remember writing about this a long time ago when yeah. we all had a blog that we used to write on yeah. and everything. I think it was a little over 200. Yeah. I was going to say we're talking hundreds here. Yeah. I. Jesus. I. Um. But. Uh. Yeah. I didn't go into 2005 thinking I'm going to watch every movie this year. It started, it's the way these things go is you watch a couple of movies in January and they're horrible. And obviously January is always the worst, one of the worst months that you can start with. And you're like, man, I've watched so many horrible movies. And then, you know, you watch stuff like, are we there yet? And all that other type of stuff. And you certainly go, I, man, I've watched all these horrible movies, but then like, I think I, I didn't watch them in order and there was something where I went back and watched something that had come out a com- couple weeks prior to this. And suddenly I look back at the month and I was, I've seen everything in January. Hmm. And, and then I was like, I'll just, I guess I'll just continue doing this. <laughs> so it was around the end of January at the beginning of February. I was like, I think I can maybe do this, which led to, uh, probably the most, uh, exhaustive night ever where I watched the Island Bad News Bears, Hustle and Flow, and the Devil's Rejects oh, all wow. in one night. <clears throat> because, wow. Because that is that was like around that was October and uh and I was like, well how am I gonna get these in? I don't want to like let one slip by. I've been doing this a whole year and everything. And it was one of those things where I went to work early that morning, and I think it was like Mike and Mike on the ESPN or something uh-huh. like that was playing, and they were talking about some topic or whatever, and something about their wives or something like that. And then I watched all those movies that night, came and got in my car. It was like 7 o'clock in the morning. It was Mike and Mike again. <laughs> and they were talking about the after effects of what had happened to that whatever. And I was like, geez. That's awesome. Um, 
So by the end of 2005, I realized this was the worst possible year to do this. <laughs> because 2005 has the most remakes, unnecessary sequels, and just general horrible movies. Yeah. I have ever seen in my life. And 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 you've gotta you gotta you know, you gotta give it to me for being able to sick through this. Yeah. Oh props. This was the year that all the box office websites were like, What's wrong? Why is it there's a slump in the box office and all that? And I kept screaming. I was like, It's not because of the reasons that you're coming up with, which is, oh, People are tired of the high prices and people don't like the sticky floors. Home and, video. Yeah, and, and all this. And like they don't they don't want to go out there because the experience isn't such and such anymore. No. Do you see the product that is coming <laughs> into these theaters? They're all remakes and sequels. Miss Congeniality 2 came yeah. out in 2005. <laughs> yeah. Armed yeah. and fabulous. Yeah, armed and fabulous. <laughs> and 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 like and just these type of movies were coming out left and right. So um it was an awful year. It was a terrible year, terrible year to do this. So what do we start with? Let's start off with something good, okay? Yeah, okay. Well, then let's start off with uh, Batman Begins. Yeah, Batman Begins yeah. is a good one to start. Um, Christopher Nolan uh, takes the reins of the Batman franchise and proceeds over the next six or eight years to just show everybody how to do it. Mm -hmm. um, this is a Batman origin story that, again, we do see, you know, him falling in the well, and we deal a little bit with his parents' death and whatnot. We've seen it before, but uh, this movie really delves into Bruce's psyche, right? And why he eventually becomes Batman. He goes off, and initially, initially he's just angry, right? Um, and so he's beating up people left and right, you know, getting involved in crimes, stealing shit from Wayne Enterprises and whatnot. Eventually he finds Ra's al Ghul. Um, but I love this movie, uh, because the second half of it is backloaded with, you know, Batman saving the city. And now we've seen his motivation. Well, we never, to this point, we'd never, of course it's exhaustive now, but we've never gotten a, a look into his psyche. Even with the 1989 Batman, there was the parents getting killed sequence, but it wasn't like Michael Keaton was showing us his inner demons or anything like that, right. you know? Uh, so this was, I think he did it really, really well. And he set that whole world up. This was, I guess, the beginning of, for better or worse, the, the gritty superhero reboot, yeah. right? Well, and and you can take gritty too far. Yes, you can. DC is showing us these days. Um, but this is basically, it's almost a loose adaptation of the year one um, story from the Batman comics, uh, which is also a great movie, uh, animated film. Um, we get a lot of elements of this, like when he goes to see Gordon and he's got the stapler and he's wearing his own makeshift, you know, <laughs> nightman outfit or whatever. He hasn't doesn't have the cowl yet or anything. And we basically get to see how Batman comes into being. Um, I, and I, I would watch Dark Knight ahead of this mm -hmm. if I had to choose. But Dark Knight only pays off because of this movie. Yeah. Previous movie Batman's had uh, had, you know, like especially, you know, the first Bat Michael Keaton Batman He's suddenly a badass out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, we don't know where he, I mean, how does he get all these skills? I mean, yeah, it's one thing to be rich and have a, put on a uniform and everything, right. but like, you have to still be able to fight right. and all that. And and this is one that really, you know, takes us into that, you know, I, and I love all that stuff that they do with the, you know, up in the mountains, yeah. you know, <laughs> rugged Christian Bale. We, you know, we see him trained as a legit ninja yeah right so it sort of makes sense later that he can kick ass mm -hmm. and uh to, to show you i mean batman begins was a was a hit 
it wasn't as big a hit as I think that a lot of people were hoping at the mm. time. Um, but uh, to, to show what they were up against, Batman and Robin had come out eight years prior to this. And there were still people who were thinking this was still part of that right. that series. Because I remember at the end of Batman Begins, he shows the Joker card. Mm-hmm. And this one guy who I worked with at the movie theater said, I don't understand. They killed the Joker in that first movie. Oh, I was like, it's not the same. It's not the same thing. Fire that guy. Yeah, it's not the same. Not the same thing, man. You know what's cool about this movie is that it doesn't do the too many villain trick. Well, none of the first movies do that. No, but I mean, Scarecrow gets thrown in there almost, but he's he's a part of the story, and I love Cillian Murphy's or Killian Murphy's uh, performance, man. In any other movie, of course, he was brought back in the other two but like in any other movie where he's really the featured baddie uh i think it'd be great to watch are you telling me his name is pronounced killian yep it's you know it's irish it's where they pronounce the hard fucking scene. internet age where i just like read something for 10 years well and- it's not like <laughs> see all these names it's not like you hear them all the time right. it's not like all these like directors who have these you know names they shouldn't have and everything <laughs> like that you know it's not like we hear anybody <laughs> saying these things right. over and over i probably said silly and murphy a million times before finally i saw an interview with him wow and they were like, it's Killian Murphy. And well, I was yeah, like, I oh, okay. Him. All right. So your name's <laughs> Killian. I got it. Uh, Batman Begins, uh, solely responsible for two of my top 20 favorite lines of all time. And that's the, the gangster at the dock when the cop asks him what the what's in the shipment. And he's like, don't trouble yourself with the secrets of scary people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then, he, and then the, the other one I love is... Uh, when Batman is trying to race Rachel back to the cave, and and the, the, the cops are like he's not on a road, he's flying on rooftops. Yeah. <laughs> I just love it. I, I I anticipate those lines when I'm watching that movie. Um. So okay. So uh, last week we're talking about how we're not going to talk about Crash because it, it you know IMDb like like staunchly makes it a 2004 movie you know, because of festivals and shit like that. But it came out in 2005. It came out in May of 2005. For most people, and it won Best Picture over Brokeback Mountain, as a surprise to say the least, because Jack Nicholson, when he read it, was like, <laughs> "And the Best Picture is Crash." <laughs> wow, <laughs> is what he said. Uh, I I really do love Crash. In fact, back in two thousand five, it was probably my favorite movie that year. Mm. um will it be my favorite movie this year keep listening (laughs) um but uh i enjoyed it a lot even though yes it is very manipulative it's it's paul haggis you know straight off of million dollar baby and all that this time he's actually directing Mm -hmm. too um but it you know it puts all these beats in there you know where it's like you know let's make let's make it seem like the little girl's about to get shot and all this other type of stuff and like uh but i love the frank discussion in this movie yeah that's and frank. don Cheadle is great in it mm-hmm. and and uh but I, I really enjoyed how frank the discussion was and it was refreshing to hear that type of talk in in a mainstream movie and i thought the movie i thought it was very good because of it but yes very manipulative yeah it's just it's 20 percent too overwrought for me mm-hmm. and and very on the nose no no more so than matt Dillon's character um, yeah but it is frank Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to you got to give it to him, and uh, it was something that you definitely hadn't seen outside of like a Spike Lee movie. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. So uh, yeah, you give points for that. Yeah, I, I, and I think this this movie 
won Best Picture because it it did that thing where it it only won because there were two or three other good contenders, right? Like, yeah. do you remember what the other nominees were? Well, Brokeback Mountain was the was the favorite for right. this, but like Pride and Prejudice was nominated, wasn't it? I think it was. Good and night and I good could, luck. Yeah, Good Night and Good Luck was one. War of the Worlds. No, <laughs> Fever not. Pitch. It's Fever Pitch. It'd be Fever Pitch. Yes. So it was Crash. Uh, Munich. Oh. oh. Good night and good luck. Brokeback Mountain and Capote. Mm. Um, and and all those movies have their have their strengths. Yeah. But they're not. None of them are are perfect. Right. None of them. Um. But. Uh, I mean, yeah, Crash seemed to have won, and we don't know uh, the entire uh, machinations of the Academy and everything, but uh, I believe everybody votes for Best Picture, whereas in the Writers Award Writers, Mm -hmm. Writers Award Writers, Cinematographers, Cinematographers, so on, Best Picture, everybody, and Crash had a huge cast Mm -hmm. and a whole bunch of influence in in that race, basically. And a lot of people thought that maybe it got the nod because of that. Also, because there's still a lot of old people in Hollywood. Yeah. And uh, the idea of a Brokeback Mountain winning Best Picture mm. would have, you know, you know, they would have killed over and died mm. probably. Um, so, so they didn't vote for some for a movie like that. But uh, you want to talk about Brokeback Mountain for a second because mm. this is a fantastic fucking oh, movie. Yeah. Ang Lee again great great uh i mean he does everything right in this and i feel like it's it's not very it's not exploitative at all Mm. although there's like a really weird sex scene in this movie that a lot of people can't get their heads around on you know because it's you know it's it's one of those where it just does it just doesn't seem right you know like there's a heath ledger's like almost like forcing the issue on jake gyllenhaal in that but heath ledger's amazing in this movie. yes he is He's very deservedly got nominated for an Oscar in this. He is not the type of character that you associate with like, okay, here's here's a gay rancher. Yeah. You know, and all that type of stuff. You know? <laughs> we're we're sort of like Like Big Gay Al. Yeah, like Big Gay Al or something. You know? Like <laughs> <laughs> like you guys now I want to see that version of Brokeback. Yeah. Is it, wouldn't that be so much better if they did the stereotypical way? And Jake Gyllenhaal's not either. I mean, both of these guys try to be with women and yeah, everything yeah. like that. No, that's and, why it works. Yeah. I mean, these guys are, are playing it quote unquote straight. Right. And and they're in this situation and, and just attraction well, and I comes think- out. It, I think they're living in an era where they have to, as the yeah. movie shows you, right? Because mm-hmm. Jake Gyllenhaal is killed by the end of it, and it's heavily implied that somebody found out he was gay, and they beat the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's what Heath Ledger's saying the entire movie, right? We cannot be together the way you want. Yeah. And it, there's this crushing line where he says, "If you if you can't change it, you just got to endure it." I'm, I'm paraphrasing, um, but man, uh, this movie is heartbreaking. Yeah, it really heartbreaking. is heartbreaking. Uh, and the, I don't know if I've ever seen a movie where establishing shots yeah. and the score under the establishing shots set the mood better. Yeah. Uh, the first hour of this movie is magic. Yeah. Now, when it gets into the second hour, especially toward the end when Heath Ledger and Jake is dead and Heath Ledger goes to his parents and all that. At that point, I'm so depressed. I'm ready to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that first hour when they're out there ranching with the sheep and getting to know each other and 
Man, it's just a heavenly shot film. The movie's gorgeous. Yeah. And much mm-hmm. like Crash, Crash is gorgeous too. Yeah. I mean, it's it's got kind of almost a similar aesthetic as, as traffic almost. Yeah. But this one, man, you're right. I, that's what really sticks with me more so than that second half is is how beautiful everything is. Yeah. Um. So, and, yeah. And, and this year, Crash won three Oscars and Brokeback Mountain won three Oscars. And it split the uh, vote between director and picture. Ang Lee won for directing. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about the music. Uh, that's Gustavo Santalaya, who mm. did uh, the Insider, the mm. the oh. Spanish guitar stuff yeah, in that, yeah. uh, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he won, and Larry McMurtry won for uh, adapting the screenplay. Uh, but there were, I mean, a ton of nominations for acting in this one. J- Heath Ledger, Jake Gyllenhaal, Michelle Williams all got nominated. And, you know, the cinematography got nominated yeah. as well. Uh, Crash got no- nominated for a ton of awards. You had Matt Dillon was the only actor out of that group. Uh, but um, but Paul Haggis got got the win for the for the writing and everything. Mm. So it was basically between those two movies yeah. when it came down to it. And I enjoy them both. Um, I feel like now looking back at it, Brokeback Mountain should have definitely won. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, but um, that's what we got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mentioned Pride and Prejudice, so let's talk about yeah. that for a minute. This, uh, the Keira Knightley version. Yeah. There's, an, there's several versions of this film, and there's a reason for that. The story's outstanding. Mm. Um, this is Keira Knightley's, I think, defining work as an actress to mm-hmm. this point. She's She carries this movie. Um, and the cast is great all around her. Donald Sutherland is maybe as delightful as he's ever been in any movie in this. Um, but my wife fell in love with this movie hard. So I've seen it probably 20 times. Oh, really? Um, she has the score from the film on her Spotify. Huh. So she'll be walking through the kitchen, making dinner or whatever, and I'll hear and I'll go, oh, I know what that is, Pride and Prejudice <laughs> music. Um, and the music's outstanding in this movie, and it's gorgeous looking, mm. right? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. And, you know, we've, we've seen millions of pride and prejudice adaptations before. even with zombies yes and with zombies yes. as well Thank God. um <laughs> but uh but like yeah she carrie knightley we 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 still weren't sure about her as an actress yet at this point right um and and she will later go into a movie that joe wright also directs called atonement which mm. um she's great in that too and there was a point where she started hearing sort of coded language and reporters questions like why is it do you think that you're so good in these movies with joe wright and everything basically implying you're not good anywhere else yeah uh i think she's turned into a terrific actress over the years by the way but at this point we're still kind of like, I don't know what we feel well, about even her. even in this year, she does Domino, yeah. which falls flat. Oh, yeah. Uh, but she's outstanding in this. Yeah, she's so great in this. And just, you know, another another character that you just fall in love with yeah. and everything in a movie. And uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. Yeah, good film. Okay, so let's go through the uh, laundry list of franchise pictures here that, <laughs> that started to come out. Yeah, They are the... They are the top movies of 2005, and and you know no surprise there because that's I mean they littered this year with all this type of stuff. Star Wars episode episode three: Revenge of the Sith gives us the ending to all that nonsense. I have the high ground, Anakin. <laughs> Got the high ground, um, and uh, we don't need to talk about it very much more. But it 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 was number one movie of 2005. Is it the best of the prequels? I think it is. No, I, mean, I think Phantom Menace might still be the best out of all of them. Mm. Even though this one has the dark ending and all that. I mean, come on. The 
the the birth scene where yeah. she's like Luke Leia yeah and Darth Vader's no yeah. and all that it's just it none of it resonates like the way like I think I think everybody had a picture in their head as to how Darth Vader would be introduced and it wasn't this yeah. yeah nobody except Lucas thought it should be this yeah yeah like it should have been more dramatic than this. We, we see him, like, you know, in the molten lava and everything, and the Emperor takes him out, and, like, then we start seeing, like, they put the machine parts on him and everything. I could have done without that. No, Lucas can't do drama. Yeah. He can't do drama. Any of those fucking scenes where it's Hayden Christensen, Natalie Portman. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. It's, it's painful yeah, to it watch is. this. He can't, it's either, it's dialogue, it's direction, it's emotion, He's just concerned with the visuals and the story and that kind of thing. He can't get to the heart of these things, and yeah. that's why those things fail. That's why Empire was so great because it wasn't him, yeah. you know, at the at the helm. Yeah, yeah. I, and and just you know, it's the continue of that digital Candyland that he's putting in these things. Everything is way way too colorful and too like it's it's sort of the um uh, criticism of pixar's early early mm. like animation you know there's like everything looks a little too shiny to me mm. and this is too much green screen man it's all, way too much of that and it's you know you can tell that they're just sort of in a studio the, i'd say the digital effects are are colorful and pretty but you mm. don't need to see them all the time there's no humanity oh, yeah. I there's mean, no that's, humanity in. yeah that's the whole uh process of that final scene on on the inferno planet where <laughs> it's that machinery in the factory line and everything yeah. it's like come the fuck on man yeah yeah so, it's basically very similar to the end of that fantastic four movie with miles teller yeah yeah right? yeah, it's just yeah. A digital mass of, yeah. of, of lack of feeling yeah by the way a fantastic four movie came out this year we don't need to talk about it very much it was shitty but it, it but chris evans was really good in it yeah. i think that's what in got him that's what got best. him you know captain america and everything yeah. was how good he was in this yeah no i agree um but yeah that movie's terrible i don't want to talk yeah about we're that. not yeah. going to talk about it uh the other big uh, and there's more other you know more other big movies <laughs> uh here's how not to do a franchise they they they, they killed the goose as they say in glengarry glen ross the chronicles of narnia the uh, lion the witch in the wardrobe um first off i think they overestimated the idea of that whole seven book series basically like they were going to do all seven like harry potter and all that most people know this one yeah and this was the one that made all the money yeah and then when they came out with Prince Caspian later, it was just kind of like, uh, I mean, I've seen, that. do I need to see any more of this? <laughs> how, do you, how do you miss on this movie? It's it's such a great book. It's a great book. I don't think this movie's a complete miss. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's a I miss. I think it is a watered down, overly sanitized kid version of Lord of the Rings. I yeah. think the actors are fine. I think the CGI is fine. Uh, I adored this book when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, all of them. My my mother read them to me before I could read, and then I read them myself when I could read. But I think the problem is that the book is that the book is a watered down, harmless version of yeah. Lord of the Rings. Yeah, but I mean, it's got all that subtext from C.S. Lewis's theology and all that stuff. But I, I'm talking don't, relative don't, don't to act the like that stuff's not in Lord of the Rings, though. Yeah, I know. Because Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were good buds. Yeah, and they were writing these books similar times yeah. in their life i think they both have heavy-handed religious imagery yeah but you're right yeah. in that this one is heavier 
Yeah, it is. And it's, but it's also lighter as a movie, right. you know? Yep. So I don't know. I, I think it, it, it was so watered down relative to the source material mm. that it just, it didn't work for me. It also would have been interesting to see what, what, what they would have been able to do if they had been able to shoot all of these because they're out of order. First off. Right. Yeah. Uh, the next thing is, is that some of the stories are very spare. Like there's a, there is just one book where two of the children are going in these pools and going out into other dimensions and worlds. Hmm. And uh, they end up in one where they see the White Witch and she's gathering all these, you know, all of her army and everything. That's pretty much the whole book. Hmm. It's not, it hasn't had much to do with really, it doesn't. So I would have, they would have had, they would have probably done what they always do with these, where they would have like inserted battles that weren't in the books. Sure. And they would have, you know, mm-hmm. they would have done the uh, Alice in Wonderland yep. treatment to that yeah. and everything. But uh, but like, yeah, it, it would have been interesting to see how far they could have gone. I don't, I think they bit into this way too early. It's yeah. kind of one of those, like, we didn't really have a plan on this, um, to see, uh, to, to make a whole seven book, you know, seven movie franchise with this because they had that and they didn't have much after they that. made three of these though. Right. Yeah, I got all the way to Voyage of the Dawn Treader. All right, now I read a couple weeks ago that a new production company has bought the rights and is going to keep going with the oh, franchise. Sweet. They're going to make a fourth movie, but it's it's none of the same people behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm more surprised at this point that they're not just rebooting Lion, Witch, and the well, Wardrobe and they again. Could, yeah. You know, if they wanted to, they could try to, you know, I guess make it more about you know, religious audiences and stuff like that, because I think normal audiences may not be what on board did... with it. I just thought of a good idea. Mel Gibson's Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the Passion of Aslan. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'd be all about it, man. I'd be there. As long as Liam Neeson's on board. Um, also coming out, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you 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 said that you love this. I think this is the the movie or the book and the movie that make the least sense. Out oh of sure, all of them, <laughs> because Voldemort's plan is so fucking stupid. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Let's go through all of this trouble so that he'll touch a cup and he'll come to me yeah. when it comes time. He may not even win this shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, and, it, and the only somehow he replaces a teacher. Yeah. With a, Apologist potion or whatever, however you pronounce it. Right. And that guy's going to be able to manipulate an entire school year to the point where Harry will touch that cup. Yeah. Yeah. Even though once everybody goes into the maze, no one has control over anything. Right. It could very easily have been, you know, Fleur who touched the cup or the Russian dude or whatever. Yeah, it could have been you're, you're right that it makes zero sense, yeah. but I have the most fun watching this movie well and the reason why I think and I and I do enjoy it, too. It's not like it's bad or anything like that. But I think Rowling herself actually said, I'm, I'm, I want to make something different than Quidditch all the time. Yeah. I want to do something that's a different kind of thing. Like, you know, sort of like the World Cup of Wizards, basically, yeah. is yeah. what it is. Only deadly. Yeah, only deadly. Did you realize how many times they legitimately should have killed students in this movie? Oh, yeah. yeah. That oh, fucking yeah. dragon breaks off his chain. Yeah. yeah. How, that shouldn't even be possible. <laughs> right. Right? Like, you have not you should have done m- your safeguard work leading <laughs> right. up to this tournament. Absolutely right. And uh, so... I agree. Like, there's so many things about that. But, yeah, it's a different type of Harry Potter. It's sort of the pivot point for Harry Potter. Sure. Um, because it goes, it leads into all the, you know, the real dark stuff yeah. later on and everything. But Well, and even the kids, they're, they're, there's that dance, and then Ron gets to be jealous without realizing he was jealous. And right. And Hermione going to this dance with this guy. Um, 
and I just think it's fun. Yeah, yeah. it's a yeah. definitely it's definitely the one that was you know written and and made for the fun in mind yeah. more than anything, more than the main story. Sort of like a departure, but it was a pivot point between mm-hmm. the good and the 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 dark stuff that's coming on later. Um, Steven Spielberg came out with two movies this year. One was War of the Worlds, which mm-hmm. I really I really liked. Yep. Um, I've read the book War of the Worlds, and I've seen the original War of the Worlds and all that. But I think Spielberg really got back to his roots with this in a lot of ways yeah uh i especially love that shot where like the there everybody's running through the streets and there's the video camera on the on the uh on the ground and Uh the camera zooms in to that to that you know yeah viewfinder Uh and everything it's so good but um it might be a little bit long the tim robbins stuff kind of you know starts you know uh aggravating after a while but uh, overall, I thought this was solid. Yeah, and Tom Cruise uh, provides just a real like fastball right down the middle. Uh, it's an unintentional baseball reference because he can't throw a baseball in this movie. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, it, it's it. He's not spectacular, but he does everything that the movie needs him to do. Uh, I, I like it a lot. I think the ending is. I guess a bit of a cheat, but yeah, uh, you, you have to follow the the source material. Right. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. The source material cheated. So what else are you gonna do? Yeah, this is the all time like you know. Oh, uh, they came to Earth and they got sick because of something that's on Earth. <laughs> we defended ourselves by doing nothing. Yeah, yeah we didn't do shit to get these things out of here. <laughs> yeah, that's how sucky we are as a planet. Yeah, yeah. like we're disease to aliens. Yeah, there's so yeah, there's like absolutely no way to win this, but oh, heavenly microbes are on our planet. <laughs> Um, also coming out, uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong came out. Now, Peter Jackson, uh, took his Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, whatever. And cut nothing out of this film. Yeah. He (laughs) took, what are we going to call it? His, his, uh. I don't know his fuck you money or his fuck you. I would just say he's got a lot of capital built up. He's got cachet at this Mm. point. And he makes this three hour King Kong which has all these like fantastic creatures on the island and everything. And I admit when I first watched this movie, I really loved all that stuff. Like, you know, Andy circus going through and getting attacked by all those mm. T-Rexes. Know, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, and all those bugs and shit that oh, was going to yeah, come yeah. around and all that. Um, when we send this though, it's just like God damn it, end already. <laughs> yeah, seriously, <laughs> there was a lot of build up to this though. Everybody, I think all three of us were really looking forward to watching this, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And there are moments in this that are great. Mm-hmm. Um, there really are. It's just that the pieces don't add up to a whole that's yeah. great. And Jack Black, in a role that you would think maybe is almost perfect for him. Mm-hmm somehow misses the mark here drastically uh doing it sort of a pt barnum kind of yeah. thing uh it doesn't work at all no. but there are moments like the silent scene where the natives on the island are pole vaulting onto the ship is really creepy um and all of andy circus's work as kong is mm-hmm. outstanding especially with him and naomi watts exactly. like those yeah. scenes where it's just quiet and then you know he's he's she's testing out basically I feel that, what that this bond is rings true in mm-hmm. the movie uh, that they have formed uh and yeah just more proof that andy circus deserves oscars for this motion capture work because Ow. it's not just a bodysuit people like yeah. all of his emotions and facial expressions it's all digitized based on what he's done but again i can't recommend you watch this movie no, no. Uh, just for the just go on youtube and look up the best clips yeah <laughs> i i i believe peter jackson has immense talent and i think that this movie sort of like i he's 
you know, bought into his own bullshit a little bit. It's it's sort of the thing that we hear about from the directors in the 70s in that Easy Rider's Raging Bulls book that I mentioned before. Um, once these guys made that movie or that trilogy or whatever in this case uh, that ga- gave them all this cachet, they realized, they, they suddenly said, I don't need to listen to anybody anymore. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I think happened to him. And I don't know if Peter Jackson's really gotten back from it. No, uh, he, he has well, a, the Hobbit's only take it further. Yeah, yeah, it's even worse than the Hobbit. And then you know, the Lovely Bones wasn't very good either. Mm. Um, it's he just he really hasn't. Can I ask you a question? Uh, why would anyone ever make the movie The Lovely Bones? This is one of the most doesn't need to exist movies <laughs> ever. Yeah. yeah, this girl was killed, mm-hmm. and it's two and a half hours of Mark Wahlberg freaking out and crying and yeah. suspecting Stanley well, Tucci. It's, it's like the creepiest fucking... I know we'll talk about it more when we get to that year, but this movie really pisses me off with its needlessness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and it's a, one of those unfilmable books, too, right. because it's mostly narration all the way through it. But uh, anyway, what else is in 2005, guys? Can I talk about uh, Matchpoint? Let's do it. Let's do it. Not to be confused with Wimbledon. No. <laughs> Another movie about tennis. That's correct. That is completely not good. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Actually, it's interesting because this movie has very little to do with tennis after the first that's bit That's correct. Of it. Yeah. Uh, I I go back and forth on how much I like this movie. Really? Because I'm a huge Woody Allen fan, but this doesn't seem like a Woody Allen movie No, it me. doesn't, but it's great. It's awesome. It is. Yeah. It's, it starts off his whole European period there. And, you know, once he gets to like Midnight in Paris and even Blue Jasmine and stuff like that, it, it seems more like a Woody Allen with the dialogue and all that stuff. He actually did a Woody Allen movie later on this or earlier on this year with Melinda and Melinda. Mm-hmm. But uh, the dialogue here, the the performances, the plot, the plot is a little bit crimes and misdemeanors, but mm-hmm. um, but it's not that. No, it, it just doesn't seem it's not a like f- it. funny movie. No, it's not a yeah. funny movie at all. And man, his use of music in this is unparalleled. Yeah. Besides maybe Manhattan. Because mm-hmm. he plays this same uh, romanza, this this part from this opera, Donizetti opera. Uh, it's it's one furtive tear is how mm-hmm. it's translated. And it's played on this like old 78 and all scratchy yeah. and everything all the way through. It's so beautiful. This was his sort of mid-aughts type of thing here. You're talking about his European sort of, you know, mm-hmm. He did Match Point, and then he uh, he did uh, Vicky, Vicky Christina, Christina Barcelona Bar- right Barcelona. after this, and everything. And Vicky Christina Barcelona is a little bit funnier, yeah, yeah. But like, he's definitely trying some things out in this period here, where he's just like, I want to try doing this for a change or whatever. Um, but uh, I love Match Point just for all the uh, you know. I love the mystery. Well, it's not really a mystery. We know what's going yeah, on. Yeah. But like, I love how he's he pl- how Jonathan Rhys Meyers in this like sort of like plans his yeah you know how is he gonna get out of this you yeah know? it's accident his whole rise to to uh, to money is almost accidental yeah um uh, but then he 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 does what he has to do to get out of this situation and the last bit that's what makes it kind of so not woody allen is that last bit where he's talking to the the people that are involved you know when they come into the kitchen and then the investigator like sits upright in bed and he's like i know how he did it that kind yeah of thing. yeah that's a funny scene yeah it's great <laughs> <laughs> he killed he killed her you know he just comes out yeah. of his bed it, it plays with expectations a lot and so this was he wanted to shoot this in new york mm-hmm. but was denied the permits or anything so he moved to london which is weird why would <laughs> know, that happen yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah so he moved to london and had to rewrite the screenplay 
and recast it. Mm-hmm. And the the UK wanted only British actors in here, except for Scarlett Johansson, obviously. And I, I, I love that that happened because I think if you had said it back in New York, it would have been crimes and misdemeanors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, and this is sort of his Scarlett Johansson phase. He's, yep. he's like she's like in everything in these like next three or four movies. She's really did. good in this. Yeah, she is. Um, she's extremely the first part of this movie is very sexy. Yes, it is. <laughs> I was going to say that, but I don't want to be the only pervy guy. No, I don't know. no, I mean, no this movie will make you horny. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, great movie. If you haven't seen it, one of Woody Allen's best, uh, especially one of his best in the last 20 years for certain. I absolutely. And Emily Mortimer in this yeah. movie is just adorable yeah, she all is. the way through, man. You're it's one there. of like the strongest Woody Allen female characters, uh, of the last, like you said, like, you know, well, 20, 25 years. It's one of those characters too. You're it's you, it's one of those where you're like, why would he cheat on a girl mm. like this? Or yeah. Whatever. It's like, it's never about who you have. It's right. who you, it's. It's who you can score later. And Scarlett Johansson is one of those girls. You know, it's just like you cannot you know, deny Scarlett Johansson. She even says it. She's yeah. like, I know I'm sexy. I know, you know, men just want me. Yeah. And that's, that's just how it is. Yeah. I wonder how many times she said that in real life. Uh, probably a lot. Probably a lot. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about another movie that'll make you horny. Wallace yeah. and Gromit. The yeah. Curse of the Wear Rabbit. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ. Yes. Now, uh, in college, I discovered the Wallace and Gromit shorts. Mm-hmm. There were three main ones. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, the self-walking pants was the, the first one. The wrong trousers. Yeah, the wrong trousers. Um, that's the first one I saw. I went back and found the other two. I had the VHS. Uh, Josh and I would watch them all the time. So when Wallace and Gromit got their own movie, that was a big deal to mm-hmm. me. Uh, and I was really hoping they didn't screw it up. And boy, did they not screw it up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's great. It, this movie's just fun. Yeah. It's just wacky, goofy fun. And uh, if you... If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Definitely. Um, we don't have to talk much more about it, but it, it is in my top 10 that I might vote for best no, picture of the it's, year. No, it's great. That It's that dry British humor that I love so much. It's not broad-based, animated, even with Pixar doing their type of humor. Right. It's a completely different thing. It's it's almost more geared towards adults. Almost. Um, but as a kid, you can love it. Man, yeah, I, I love this movie. Yeah. It's, I haven't seen it since it came out, so I don't remember too much about it. I do remember enjoying it. Yeah, though. well, that, that's all. I mean, again, it's not going to change your life, but it's awesome. And the same goes for a, a similar movie, uh, Tim Burton's The Corpse Bride. Yes. Yeah. Now, With, I... Here's the Corpse Bride's problem. It's not The Nightmare Before Christmas. Right. Yeah. But if you had never seen The Nightmare Before Christmas, The Corpse Bride might have become that. Yeah. Because there's really charming songs that that dissonant where the ladybugs and spiders are singing like, if you only knew the you that we know. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's it's very Tim Burton-y. It just doesn't match the quality total mm-hmm. of Nightmare Before Christmas. And it's almost unfortunate, it's, I think. It's actually Johnny Tepp's probably his best performance after Pirates of the Caribbean, the first one. Yeah, it's pretty it could good, be. man. Yeah. It could be, yeah. It's certainly his best performance of this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, we'll briefly mention Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, it, you know, the, here's the thing that I want to say about these Tim Burton remakes that, that keep coming out. And I, we may have talked about this before. It seemed like every project that I've read up on with Tim Burton, whether it's Batman, this, Planet of the Apes, any of those, He's like, I was never a real fan of the original. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, why do you want to do this then? What appeals to you about it then? You know, and and, and he uh, goes and makes his own thing. And it's, all, I mean, almost 100% of the time, it's awful. Yeah, and, well, this is, this is you can tell that he doesn't like this source material. Because yeah. Because it is so different. 
it's it's interesting actually that they call it Charlie and the Chocolate Factory yeah. instead of Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory because it focuses on Willy Wonka. Yeah. Um, and oh, this portrayal is just. He gets it totally wrong. It's this point. I don't even know what he's going for. Where I believe Depp has bought into his own bullshit. Yeah. Like, I think that happens with actors, too. He did all these great things in the 90s, never really got much credit for it. He does Pirates, where everybody was like, I don't know what the fuck this guy's doing. Mm. I want to pull the plug on Johnny Depp. And then suddenly he's the biggest thing about Pirates of the Caribbean. Now, he <laughs> anything he does is the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. And he's uh, just indulgent as far as whatever he does as an actor. And that's what comes across in this. Yeah, and he's going to be in the fantastic beasts and where to find them sequel yeah yes he is uh, that's uh, i wasn't gonna watch those anyway but now i'm special not gonna watch them <laughs> um all right what else guys uh we'll briefly mention walk the line because we talked about ray yeah. last time uh i i like this movie a lot this is johnny cash's biopic uh the only thing i want to say about this is that joaquin phoenix is terrific as johnny cash mm -hmm. but reese witherspoon is june carter cash steals the movie yeah she's unbelievable in this role and it's almost like she was because she's a low she's from nashville and everything it's almost like she was born to play this and they actually performed their own songs on yeah. this and learned how to to sing like the the original characters but i mean it's what's different about this biopic is that it really does focus on their relationship that was so tight that he only lasted, I think, like a year after she died. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think it's very charming. They have tremendous chemistry. Like, mm -hmm. it's one of the things that I remember coming out of this thing is that, you know, Joaquin Phoenix obviously really dives into these roles and everything. And, like, you know, it was sort of this discussion, like, did he and Reese Witherspoon actually, you know, do something <laughs> on this or whatever? Like, it was, I, I guess it was, like, some weird rumors that had come out yeah. or whatever. Maybe I'm just making that up. <laughs> uh, but it was to the point of, like, uh, that when they were hired for Inherent Vice or whatever, they said that Paul Thomas Anderson said they have this way of talking to each other, basically from Walk the Line, mm -hmm. that, you know, they speak their own language to each mm -hmm. other and everything. It's just kind of weird, like, how how they're that you know you know good together and everything as far as working partners and everything yeah it's too long and it focuses on like the yeah the minutia too much one thing i love about walk the line i've always kept this in it kept this in my head is uh, uh it i and it was it was more james mangold afterwards talking about this uh you know he cash watches this terrible movie called Folsom prison and that's mm. what ends up being the inspiration for you know the you know Folsom prison song uh -huh. and uh and like uh he's like just imagine if that movie didn't exist it's a terrible movie hmm. it's a terrible movie but he just ran across it one day and he created something great oh yeah based on that so it's one of those things I always gotta you always gotta remember that there's reasons why there's bad art in this world <laughs> it inspires good art <laughs> it inspires good art and it uh, it encourages us to do better let's uh pander to the brown coats a bit and talk about serenity Oh, mm. yeah. You guys ever seen it? I have. Oh, yeah. Um, I love this movie. Yeah. This is one of the greatest crimes in our current entertainment media landscape is that Nathan Fillion is known more for a shitty TV show <laughs> than he is for this role yep. because he is perfect yeah. in this role. He's just enough Han Solo, but just enough not. Um, I, I could watch this anytime. Now, it's harmless. You can pick it up in the middle. You can... You know, stop halfway through and come back later. But this is based on Firefly, the yep. TV show that Fox killed notoriously mm -hmm. after 13 episodes. I think maybe only 12. Um, 
had a, had a rabid fan base when they canceled it. But uh, that has only grown to the point where they decided, well, we should pay, make a movie out of it, right? Yeah. Um, and this is Joss Whedon. Uh, great cast. A lot of the story beats here are were touched on in episodes if you watch uh-huh. the show. Uh, but I don't think fans really minded about that. And then could one of you pronounce the villain actor's name so I don't look stupid? It's uh, Ektifor or whatever. Oh, uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Okay. Uh, he's fantastic in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, comes he he's electric basically, and he's playing this character that's basically this badass and uh, continues to be a badass the whole way through. But the first time um, he encounters him in a prostitution brothel or whatever, that scene is brutal, and he could kill him if she hadn't lit the incense boom. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I love this movie. I know there's a certain part of the public that just doesn't know about or care about Firefly and Serenity, uh, but those who do would kill us if we didn't yeah. talk about that. Well, if, if you like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV series, this is perfect for you because yeah. it, it's the same type of snappy, witty dialogue yeah. and you know, almost self-deprecating characters. It, it's great. There's that in the very opening scene, Nathan Fillion's like, Doing a shipwide broadcast, he's like, "We may experience some turbulence and explode." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he runs into Adam Baldwin, and he's like, "I don't want to explode." Yeah. Lots of humor, really good well, action, and the great line too. I haven't had anything twixt my nether yeah. since <laughs> that wasn't hooked up to batteries or something like that. Um, the uh, the yeah, the, I think Firefly. Don't you think that that would be a show that if you came out with it now somewhere on cable it would be an amazing like hit yeah the problem for firefly like a lot of shows is that it was on a network yeah and the networks have so much higher standards for what a show needs to get in viewers and advertising revenue whereas a cable channel can have a show that pulls in one million viewers an episode and make a profit from yeah that. this is gonna be straight up sci-fi or netflix yep. or something like that now i think it would be huge well now. especially if the, isn't he ending that show on tv where he's a writer or is that still going on Oh, Castle? Yeah. I, it's It's gone through like ups and downs. Like it's going to be canceled. It's going to be renewed. I don't know where it is now. Man, I just noticed the other day that they're on ep- they're on season three of The Odd Couple with Matthew Perry. Yeah. I thought that got canceled after like five episodes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Still going. Yeah. I just don't pay attention to network TV very much mm. um, because the quality's moved elsewhere. Yep. Um, okay. So two two pretty significant comedies came out. One, Wedding Crash. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and a forty year old version, basically officially bringing back R rated comedy at this point because we had ex- sort of suffered through PG thirteen comedy for mm-hmm. a long time. Like they were always afraid to cross the line with those things. Now because of Judd Apatow and Todd Phillips, and I think in some ways because of Kevin Smith, we're finally able to get some you know like people just saying throwing some fucks out there yeah. every once in a while. Who gives a fuck, right? Yeah um wedding crashers was a tremendous hit in mm. fact it was one of the biggest r-rated movies of all time oh really i think it still is wow. in fact um but uh you're a big fan of i love so, this you know, yeah i love i love the the way that owen wilson and vince vaughn get along together it's almost like his brother did in old school mm-hmm. they had like this this good repartee basically but Every all the bit characters in this really work well like isla fisher and yeah. bradley cooper and christopher walken man he plays this like big senate or, or uh, the secretary guy, and when they get back to his house where they're just you know lounging around, he goes in to see Vince Vaughn, who's tied up by his son, and he's he's you know he's talking almost to himself. He's like trying to talk through a problem, and he looks over and he just kind of casually grabs the rope. 
He's like, huh. And then he keeps, <laughs> he keeps talking. It's so great. But the protagonists aren't very good people, too. They literally right. are crashing weddings to fuck women. Yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> where it gets to, like, it's whole denouement is, is where Will Ferrell is like, I'm starting to crash funerals, man. You can fucking pick <laughs> yeah. up anybody. They're Will all Ferrell's cameo is hilarious <laughs> yeah, on this. Yeah. Um, but also, 40-Year-Old Virgin came out in this year, and uh, I, I think that might still be Judd Apatow's best. I agree. Yeah, I love 40-Year-Old Virgin. Everybody mm-hmm. is perfectly cast. Yeah. Everybody. Um, and it's just relentlessly funny. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. funny more so than even the r-rated change it just felt like this was one of the first funny comedies we'd gotten in a while yeah. like everything else had been you know pulling its punches on the jokes or what have you um uh, and it's interesting that seth rogan goes on after this to almost adopt this persona of the pudgy lovable guy mm-hmm. and in this movie he's the tatted goatee <laughs> yeah. like hard ass yeah uh, but he still plays it fine uh, Steve Carell shines, I think, yeah. uh, in this movie and makes it work. Uh, this is star making for Steve agreed, Carell. Agreed, and deservingly so. Uh, whenever I see this on TV, I stop and watch this it. This is what yeah. led to The Office and all that. Like, uh, And we found out later on that he's actually just a really good actor in general. Oh, yeah. like he's, he's mainly known for comedy and everything, but we've seen him in some great stuff since then. Yep. But um but yeah man there are so many great lines and moments in this and everything like i love how seth rogan tells steve carell to approach elizabeth banks in that story he's like be like dave caruso and jade you know just always ask questions never answer questions and it works <laughs> and it works <laughs> he's like he's like you want to, she's like do you want to do it yourself he's like do you like to do it yourself you know it's just stuff like that and she's just like getting on with it, like yeah, <laughs> and yeah. and uh, and then Leslie Mann has oh, great a great cameo, cameo in this. <laughs> um, you know, just like, I can get some fucking French toast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she's so she drives so terribly. Of course, she's wasted. Yeah, uh, he oh he should die in that scene. I think probably. a lot of people, may, maybe not a lot of people. I know I've been in this situation where someone who is adamant about yeah being able to drive yeah and then they get in the car and things like you're just like okay i'm afraid for my life yep you know yep. I've been everybody's in- been in that polite sort of like you know i'm gonna die yeah yeah <laughs> and steve carell has the worst moment as possible but uh it's such a funny movie it's so great all right what else guys well uh i want to talk a little bit about sky high just briefly yeah. um because it came out of nowhere i don't think anybody expected anything from it and it's a really fun charming you know coming of age superhero story um that you know obviously didn't have the biggest budget some of the effects are a a little Mm. cheap but uh scott i don't know i just really like i don't know guys how you guys feel about it but it's one of those movies where i walked out and i was like i'm surprised how much i liked that love sky high Mm. and it's very much it's very much harry potter for superheroes sure but uh very fun very i mean a lot of appealing people in this yeah there are kurt russell has a great line at the beginning of it where he's like He's knows he's getting older and everything. He's like, maybe next time I try to hit that asteroid, it'll be me that, bl- 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 <laughs> that crumbles into a million pieces. <laughs> so self-important. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, a great cast. We've got uh, it, it's uh, Michael Angerino yep. and uh, who's from Almost Famous yep. and uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, mm-hmm. who's fantastic and very appealing. Yeah, Kelly uh, Preston. Kelly Preston. Uh, everybody's really good in it. The guy from uh, Broken Lizard is the bus driver. Oh, yeah. Um, 
the that's actually his name like what tommy sims bus driver or whatever his name actually <laughs> yeah. is sorry to any tommy sims out there i just pulled that out of my ass but, um but yeah um I, I i loved it so there were two highly regarded horror movies that came out uh that have really like persisted in the public consciousness and one of them i hate and one of them i love it's the devil's rejects yeah uh which was rob zombie mm-hmm. uh giving us one of the worst families in the history of families yep um, and the other is The Descent, and The Descent I love is the a Descent. great, great movie. One of the big jewels to come out of 2005 yeah, is The really. Descent. Uh, really, really enjoyed this. Yeah. Um, it, this is how you're supposed to build tension. The now, whole thing just moves. It's you, great. I'm pretty sure this is a, The Descent was a movie that came out in 2005, but then later had its major release in 2006, mm. because... I believe I was in New York in two that when this movie came out, and I remember I'll never forget opening night of the descent. There was this woman who walked out of the theater, and she was like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" She's like, she's like, by herself, she's like, get just leaving, oh, just wow. leaving the theater. You're <laughs> like, "Oh my god!" Just what awesome. she kept, just what she did was she's going out of. But the descent is frightening. Man. Oh, it's so scary. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's got one of the best like you know jump scares ever made yeah. in a movie before, and I love it. The Devil's Rejects. I know a lot of people who love that yep. movie. Yep. I hated it. Yeah, me too. Uh, but there are a lot of people who think that's a great movie. Yeah, and I and it sort of uh got quentin tarantino's attention too because mm-hmm. the zombie does uh one of the fake trailers on uh, oh yeah on grindhouse and yeah. everything uh but yeah devil's rejects man i did not like that movie at all now to be fair i mentioned that that was one of the movies i saw in that four movie marathon yeah. <laughs> there um uh one was uh, so uh, so let's talk a little bit about those the island is michael bay's best movie oh agreed. yeah agreed yeah, Hold, absolutely hands down it still got a lot of Michael Bay in it, <laughs> like I, I. But I had forgotten how much Michael Bay was in it until it came on one day. I was watching it, and it was during the Steve Buscemi scenes and everything. Um, and I was like sitting there going, "Oh, I, I'd forgotten how much Michael Bay is in this movie." Yeah. But I mean, I love. I'm a sucker for this type of story. Yeah, I think it's kind of almost like a Black Mirror episode. It kind of is. <laughs> you know, yeah. if Michael Bay directed a Black it, Mirror episode. This is me. Is this the highest concept? Michael Bay movie? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, is it possible that's why it's his best? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Ewan McGregor and Scarlett Johansson are just charming as fuck in this movie. Yeah. Like they're naivete, and, but the, the high concept drives everything in the movie, and I, I have said more than once, I am a sucker for a really cool high concept sci-fi yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the movie I'm trying to think of is Logan's Run. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. The, you know, it's it's got that same kind of setup and everything and i think there's been quite a few of those type of logan's run type movies over the years this is blown up into michael bay proportions but uh i think this is his best and i'm kind of shocked i've heard debates on what michael michael bay's best movie is and i've heard bad boys and i've heard the rock mm-hmm. whenever this movie comes up people tend to dismiss it oh that's crazy and i and and it, people dismissed it in theaters too because it didn't do anything well, I mean, it's not great or anything. No, but it's, it's not it's, great. It's, it, I mean, it's it's measuring against uh, the Michael Bay but, standard. Uh, yes. Yeah, but it's it's not great. But yeah, it's it's very entertaining. Like I said, I'm just a sucker for that type of story and a high concept sci fi you know movie and everything. I'm all about it. There was another uh, another movie very very like this that came out later that did have Keira Knightley and um, what was that movie? Never Let Me Go. 
Have oh, you ever yeah. seen that? It's, it is very similar. It's been never, Andrew Garfield. Yeah, Andrew Garfield's in it. And um, and uh, is it the one that I always confuse with Michelle Williams? She dated <laughs> Carrie Mulligan. Carrie, Carrie Mulligan. Mulligan. Yeah. yeah, Carrie Mulligan's in it, and that's very good. But it's it's very like quieter. It's like more movie. about the relationships and the emotions. Yeah, this one's more about the action. Yeah, but the, yeah, the those movies are very similar. I would almost recommend watching like a. a a whole like Logan's Run, The Island, and Never Let Me Go, like all in <laughs> yeah. a row because they're all they're all fun. Um, while we're on high concept sci fi movies, I'll briefly mention the jacket again. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. another Kira Knightley. Joint. Yeah, Kira Knightley was busy. <laughs> she was busy, uh, and this is a weird ass fucking movie because dude is in some kind of psych ward where to punish him they put him in this drawer that's basically where they put corpses in a morgue. <laughs> but while he's in there. He visits the future uh, and meets Keira Knightley mm-hmm. and um, basically bumps into her frequently on these drawer trips to the future. They put him in a straight jacket before they put him in the drawer, which is why the movie's called The Jacket. Uh, it's weird as fuck, but I really, really like it. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I have not seen it since it came out. Mm. And I actually it did come on cable recently. I saw it like a couple weeks ago. Saw a brief snippet of it. And I was like, oh, yeah, this movie's it might, it's got some decent stuff. Gives in me it. 12 Monkeys vibes when I watch yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but I did not give it that kind of chance when I watched it originally. I don't think I liked it when I first watched it. But when it came on the other day, I was like, oh, this is decent actually so yeah. i'm glad that you i'm glad that you found some sort of you know i am a sucker for time travel man yeah unless you go way out unless you're making black knight i want to mention two movies because of their trailers jarhead yes. came out uh jarhead uh jarhead's trailer is way better than the movie that we get the movie is still good though mm-hmm uh, especially the something in the way moment where the he's <laughs> yeah <laughs> all that is great. I think the movie is better than a lot of people will give it credit it is. for. Yeah, it's I mean it it, it kind of falls apart towards the end, but it's after the part where Peter Sarsgaard, who had a big year this year, he yeah. was in Flight Plan, he was in Skeleton Key, mm-hmm. um, where he just loses his shit. Yeah, and it is a great great scene. Um, the whole movie, I actually thought that this was going to be. The, the direction that war movies would take from now on. Mm-hmm. Soldiers getting ready to soldier, they can't fire a single shot. Yeah. Uh, because of machines and air cover and stuff like that. And it's where that frustration boils over with Peter Sarsgaard's character that is really touching. And it's an examination into the ennui of modern warfare, I guess. Yeah. and Which is not, yeah, I guess, the most fun to watch. But, man, I, I just think it's great. Yeah. I, uh, I'm i the same way. Like, it's it's... That's the thing that came out of this movie is that it's kind of boring when mm-hmm. you're out in war and everything. You have very little chance to actually shoot your weapon or like get into some any kind of shit at all. Um, and when they finally do, and they're just sitting around or they're standing around that big huge bonfire, and Jamie Fox and Peter Sarsgaard and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal just start fucking firing their weapons. Yeah, yeah. and I mean somebody's probably hit by these on the way down, but yeah. like they just unleash, and Jamie Fox is like sitting there just like this enormous gun, just firing that shit off. But much like Road to Perdition, Sam Mendes, you know, sort of trying to follow American Beauty, and he's still kind of getting judged based on that movie. Mm. Everything that he comes out with, this isn't as good as Road to Perdition, but mm. it's. It's still a very high quality movie, and I, I think should deserve a little bit of an extra look if you haven't seen mm-hmm. it. The other one that I wanted to mention, based on this trailer, is Red Eye because it is mm-hmm. 
um, another Killian, Killian Murphy, Murphy movie <laughs> uh, with Rachel McAdams. Uh, I remember first putting this trailer on a movie and I was watching it go through and I was like, oh, it's a romantic comedy with Killian Murphy and Rachel <laughs> McAdams because that's the way it starts off. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they met at the airport <laughs> and they do that very cleverly. You know, like, you know, it's all this type of stuff like, oh, there's going to be a lot of like misunderstandings and missing each other. And then it gets on the plane and suddenly Killian Murphy's eyes turn red. And it's like, from the director of Scream and Nightmare on Elm Street, Wes Craven. And um, actually, uh, the movie is not bad at all. Yeah. It's actually pretty like it? good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the, the only problem, I actually like this a lot, but he turns into like a Terminator at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. a robot. You can't kill him. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. All right. Anything uh, else? Well, well, we're on a plane. Let's just go to flight plan real quick. Yeah. 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 Jodie Foster. Somehow this becomes a psychological movie mm-hmm. where she's basically starts doubting her own sanity about whether or not she brought her daughter on this plane, which I think is a little silly, uh, even though there's this grand conspiracy and basically so many things working against her. I don't know that you would ever actually believe. No, I did not bring my daughter on this plane. <laughs> yeah. But she almost gets to that point. Um yeah, I th- thought the movie was uh, B minus. I thought it was okay. That I felt like it telegraphed who the bad guys were yeah. immediately, because uh, Peter Sarsgaard and the chick from Wicker Man is in this. <laughs> uh, there's a point where he asks her for something, and it's just like a really innocuous scene that they just stick in there, and it sticks out like a sore thumb, uh. and you're just like, oh, okay, they're the bad guys. <laughs> they're the ones who were conspiring on this. Um, you, it's one of those movies that they give you that like it's so intriguing what happened what happened and then when you get your answer it's not that satisfying yeah and both of those red eye and flight plan are kind of like the elevator episodes in tv where it's this small contained space mm-hmm. yeah. that feels restrictive and that's just a cool place to set stories yeah that's why there have been so many of them passenger yeah. 57 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Nonstop>. turbulence mm-hmm. <laughs> flight plan reminded me somewhat although this is not nearly what it was but what didn't stephen king write thing something called four past midnight or something like that it sounds familiar where where somebody wakes up on the plane and nobody's on the plane Uh, that would be freaky yeah Yeah. it's something like that but uh anyway what else came out in 2005 guys v for vendetta yeah Yeah. i love this movie yeah it's fun i love it wholeheartedly Mm -hmm. like i realized like this was wachowski siblings produced but they were not the directors right um it was basically a protege of theirs, I believe. Yeah, um, I can't remember his name right now. But they did lend him uh, one of their best actors from the Matrix movies. Yes. And uh, he knocks it out of the park. He's wearing a mask the entire movie mm-hmm. and completely creates a character you connect with. Uh, emotes and Natalie Portman's fantastic in this movie. Uh, but I feel like this movie doesn't have like a stellar reputation. I feel like most people are like, ah, I liked it. All right. But I just I fell in love. I fell head over heels in love oh yeah it's great i've seen it probably 50 times yeah Yeah. of course it's got a john hurt performance where he's you know an evil dictator yeah well (laughs) a lot of these performances are a little over the top this is based on a graphic novel i think right this is technically a comic book movie yes i i believe so um um yeah i i've never been a huge fan of this i do like hugo weaving in it i think this is a very interesting turn for natalie portman as well 
but yeah, I, I watched it once, and uh, then the second time when we send it, I was like, I, I don't know, I'm still not really getting this, but very stylish, and uh, and I, I do can, I can get into some of the things that are in this movie. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, that two movies from 05 really inspired the SNL digital shorts, because... Mm-hmm. It was the Chronicle Lazy Sunday, the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, <laughs> and then it was uh, the the Natalie Andy Samberg thing, where she's like a big badass. She's like, yeah. like uh, we love you, Natalie. I want to fuck you too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she yeah. has since I think regretted that. Oh really? Well, I don't think she knew at the time that it was going to be this viral touchstone of. And you know yeah. she says a lot of filthy shit in that song. I mean, <laughs> that's why it's funny. But yeah. I'm like, get over it too. I'm just like, come on. Yeah, you know. didn't know. Come on. Um, yeah, this was directed by James McTeague, who later on didn't do much of anything like that we really know. He was part of the TV series Sense Eight, which makes sense. Um, and he's done a couple others that are vaguely familiar, but like, yeah, that he, he didn't really do much after that. And this movie did pretty decent, 70 million domestic and about 130. So worldwide, um, also coming out that a movie I cannot fucking stand is Sin City. Oh, Oh. I saw a request for us to talk about Sin City and I also hate it. Yeah. (laughs) This movie is boring as shit. This is, uh. How do I describe my hate for this movie? <laughs> it's like you thought a visual gimmick was enough. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And I know this is based on a comic, and maybe they're aping the visual aesthetic of the comic or what have yeah, you. Yeah, they're definitely doing that, because Frank Miller even gets a direct, like a uncredited director's credit. Frank Miller is deranged. For yeah. all of the good Batman <laughs> stuff he's done, he's also done a bunch of shitty Batman stuff. Mm-hmm. And he, when he has no checks and balances, it's just everything is fucking filthy and hard r Mm -hmm. and this movie is basically a fuck you to the ratings board i think right uh i can't stand it i like a lot of the people involved i do too i I love this cast it's got an 8.1 on the imdb that's how well received this movie was for people who i mean I, i i guess for people who were sin city fans i don't know i've watched this movie twice i just I've never gotten it. I've always been bored. I've always wanted to fall asleep during it. Visuals, yes, are amazing. Uh, and it's got some. It's got some like creepy stuff. Elijah Wood has got yeah. a got a nice little turn in this mm. and everything. I just never got into it, man. Just never did. What about you? Did you? I liked it more than you guys did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I completely agree that it's it's overall boring. But it, there, there's just so many different vignettes that I think there is stuff to like in there, like the Elijah Wood thing. Yeah. The Mickey Rourke thing just goes so fucking long, but there are still moments in there that I like. The Bruce Willis thing is is a little overwhelming. So yeah, I'm kind of in the middle with it. I like the Clive Owen stuff, all right, mm-hmm. but that Bruce Willis Jessica Alba stuff is just that's fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> that's really fucked yeah, up. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and the scenes with Josh Hartnett and Marley Shelton, mm-hmm. and we and he we see him in two different right. scenes, beginning and the end. Those are really good in Sin City as well. But everything else in there, I could just, I could, you know, I wouldn't care, you know, <laughs> if you just cut it completely out. I mean, I don't like Carla Gugino, though. Carla Gugino. Let's talk a little bit about um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh, yeah. Is this a um, fantastic movie? Is this the best movie this guy's made? I It's my favorite. 
Shane Black? I yeah, mean? Shane Black. Now, he's written a lot of good movies that he didn't direct, but he mm. directed this, right? Yeah, yeah. He um, this is definitely the best movie he's written and directed. And um, man, this is this is so funny all the way throughout. Yeah, it is, and I love how smart it is too. Like just general things, the the conversations and everything were. You know, like Down Downey says, I slept badly last night, and she's like, "You slept bad." <laughs> He's like, "What?" And he's like, "Well, if you you know, badly is an adverb, it means that the the method by which you slept was bad." You know, <laughs> <laughs> and then later on, Downey tries to do that same thing to Val Kilmer, and he's like, what "The fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> oh man, they're they're great. Val Kilmer who was in purgatory or something between tombstone and this mm-hmm. just has a great performance is gay Perry. Uh, man, he's, he's, he's totally under control, like the whole movie, but he's just hilarious. You know, by the way, this week, Val Kilmer, um, Michael Douglas came out and said that he had cancer and that's why you haven't been, he's got the same thing I had and it's not looking good for him. And that's why you haven't seen Val lately. Really? The next day, Val Kilmer's on Facebook going, I love Michael Douglas. I'm sure he didn't mean any harm, but I don't have cancer. <laughs> wow. I made three movies this year, and one of them I'm taking to a festival tomorrow, and blah, 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 blah. Wow. And I'm like, how does that happen? Michael Douglas is unhinged at this point. Well, like, Cunnilingus caused his but, cancer. Yeah. Anyway, what made me think was that maybe he did have it, but got it taken care yeah, of. Yeah, he, he got better. Doesn't want it out there that he had it for whatever reason. It's his medical information. But anyway, Michael Douglas... <laughs> Call of Fools out. <laughs> if there's any movie that I'd like to recommend out of this year, it's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. That's a movie that you're going to clearly enjoy uh, if you haven't seen it yet, because these are all at their top of their game type of stuff. Downey, Downey is fantastic, and this is the Downey that we fell in love with way back in the 80s yep. and 90s. Uh, Michelle Monaghan, who, who I think is gorgeous and is a great actress and everything, I forget about her in almost every movie that she's in, except this one. Mm-hmm. She's fantastic in this. It's because they actually gave her a character to play. Yeah. You know, and uh, and most other stuff that I've ever seen her in, like Eagle Eye and all yeah, that. She's the hot girl. Yeah, she's yeah. the hot girl. <laughs> and she in this, she still plays hot girl. Yep. But she's very smart and has a lot of great lines in it, too. A lot, um, of, a lot of unexpected gunshots in yes. this movie. <laughs> yeah, a shocking, like. <laughs> right. It's a violent film. Yeah. Like you're, you're giving it a blanket endorsement, and I agree with that, but people should know going in that it's R. It's like violent and <laughs> filthy. Yeah. But it is awesome and hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, so Shane Black, uh, just to fill in some background and everything, uh, wrote the Lethal Weapon series. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he did The Last Boy Scout, and uh, he was also Last Action Hero. Pretty much, if anything, had last in it, yeah. or long, or lethal, <laughs> or anything starting with an L, he did it. Uh, then he later on uh, directed Iron Man 3, probably because of his experience with Downey yeah. on this and everything. And I, you know, I just wish they had given it to him. It's kind of, I feel like this is another kind of, you know, Edgar Wright situation where they just, mm-hmm. they gave him this and said, here, ha- you know, take all the money involved and all that stuff. And, but he never, it never feels like his movie. No. You know, just this week, Rebecca Ferguson gave an interview about how drastically her character in that movie was altered. She was supposed to be a major villain and the studio didn't think, um, action figures of girl villains would sell what and so they still kind of do that though don't they, they still kind of do yes but i think you're exactly right that this was marvel 
forcing Shane Black into a box mm-hmm. uh, for Marvel interests instead of letting a, a you know a talented guy run loose. Because a real a real Shane Black Iron Man three would have been a great fucking. I movie. think you're yeah. right. I and this is right. turns out to be one of the worst of the Marvel that they've ever come out with. Uh, it does have that great line, you know, parents die, don't no need to be a pussy about it, or whatever. <laughs> Dads die, don't be a pussy about it, or whatever. That's that's very Shane yep. Black. Yep. Uh, but um, but yeah, I mean, and then he later on did the Nice Guys this year, which was really good. Yep. Uh, what else, guys? Can we talk about Rent. Yeah, yeah we should. Rent was a phenomenon. It was mm-hmm. on Broadway. And they no got no day but today. That's right. Mm-hmm. They got most of the cast to be in the in the movie, right? They did, yes, because Anthony Rapp Anthony was in the Rapp. original. Um, uh, Tay Diggs was in the original. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else? Um, Idina Menzel. Idina Menzel yeah. was, yeah. So yeah, I mean, they got most. Of, I think Rosario Dawson yeah, was one of the ones and, that um, they added. And what's her name from uh, uh, Death Proof? Um, the um, Rose McGowan. Uh, Tracy Toms. Tracy Toms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tracy but, Tom. So yeah, man, they got most of the original. Yeah, yes. <laughs> fucking Rose McGowan. <laughs> you didn't know she could sing. <laughs> yeah, but the uh, you know, not everybody will like the source material. It's it's kind of the it is the inspiration yeah. for the everybody has yeah, AIDS yes. uh, uh, scene in Team America. Yes, but you got to be made of stone for some of these songs not to get to you the whole start of the 525,600 minutes and it goes into la vie bohème and then the maureen tango and everything i saw the the musical on stage a long time ago mm-hmm. but i think it's a pretty faithful adaptation i mean that's why they had you know the uh uh the original cast and this is Edina menzel before her frozen fame yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. and she plays a very non-disney character yeah um, I, I never saw it all the way through um but i love the music from mm. the stage show and we used to play it the first theater i ever worked at the manager was obsessed with rent it was right when rent was at its peak i'm not sure there's been a broadway musical since then that was this big of a deal until maybe hamilton yeah or um, wicked i guess yeah, yeah maybe wicked but it was huge yeah uh, and he would play the soundtrack as basically the lobby music constantly oh, nice. i fell in love with all the songs i've never seen the stage play um and i never sat and watched the whole movie and i should i saw i saw this off broadway um back in 2005 and it had drew lachey the uh, brother of Nick oh lachey, yeah nice. was in this um and I really enjoyed it then. When the movie came out, I'm like, okay, what? I mean, it's just, I don't know what it is about movies and, and musicals and everything. A lot of times it just, I don't know, just not, it doesn't feel right or whatever. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Rent is fine. Uh, if you'd gone to Off Off Broadway, you could have seen George Costanza's one act play La Cocina. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, uh, but Rent has basically got its roots in La Boheme, the opera. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's the same type of deal uh-huh. where it's like, you know, these people are living in basically Lobo M is just about people getting evicted. That's basically all it is. I want to uh, make, make a musical about people getting evicted. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I do want to mention, cause you brought it up that between last week's podcast and this one, I watched team America world police. Oh, okay. nice. And I laughed my ass off, <laughs> but I still, I want to ask you guys something. Mm-hmm. What percentage of this movie's visual gags are simply, Oh, look, they're puppets. 
a few. I wouldn't say as much as the, you like would that expect. Slow I mean, motion got- where they play the Kill Bill <laughs> slow mo walk music, but then uh-huh. their legs are all yeah. goopy <laughs> as they're walking. I felt like there were lots of beats where it was just they're humans and not puppets, and therefore it's funny. Yeah, I even laughed at some of like the when he throws up in the alley. And yeah, it just goes on oh and on and on. Like I was laughing at first because it looked funny to see a puppet. That was actually spewing liquid as yeah. though he was throwing well, up. Well, and then it's so obviously like just like they didn't even care. Like they were running out and it was yeah. just like spraying yeah. <laughs> like some weird like consistency yeah. that was coming up. Anyway, I did enjoy the movie very much. And uh, well, good. I'm glad I, that you enjoyed back it. To you. Um, I, I do want to get a sense. I want everybody to sort of get a sense of how many remakes and sequels were in this yeah but i also before you do that i want to let you know i have a handful more i think i want to talk about okay we'll go we'll go through that i'm going to run down this list real quick do it okay so sequels remakes or stuff based on tv shows or whatever not original at all star wars episode three um harry potter and the goblet of fire war of the worlds king kong charlie and chocolate factory uh the longest yard um fantastic four i mean somewhat somewhat uh, fun with Dick and Jane. Um, People don't realize that was a remake. Yeah. Um, cheaper by the dozen, too, because oh, the first Christ. one was such a fucking big <laughs> hit. Oh, my God. The Dukes of Hazard. Oh, uh, the Ring 2. Um, let's see. Assault on Precinct 13. Saw 2, right? Yeah. Assault on Precinct 13. Saw 2. Uh, Herbie Fully Loaded. Ugh. Guess Who, which is the Guess Who's Coming to Dinner remake. Mm. Bewitched. Um, which also reminds me, Nicole Kidman was in Bewitched, and she was in the Stepford Wives remake that came out both the same year. Yeah. Um, let's see, Miss Congeniality two, uh, <laughs> The Legend of Zorro, Transporter two, did Bad News Bears. Be cool? Uh, I did not say Be Cool, but Bad News Bears as well. And that was Richard Linkletter, and he, yeah. I mean, that was you would have thought that he would have done something different with it. He just, I mean, he was kind of hamstrung. Triple X, State of the Union. <laughs> it was Aeon Flux and The Fog, the John Carpenter. Uh, yeah. Um, it was The House of Wax, which they threw <laughs> Paris <laughs> Hilton in. Um, it. it I just, just to get a sense of what you had to go through in 2005, <laughs> uh, that's just the top 100. There's probably many, many more yeah. uh, that came out, but uh, yeah, and Doom based on the video game, yeah. terrible movie. Um, I mean, and that's not even getting into the stuff that's just based on books and just or franchises that they needed to resurrect and well, all. This was that. Hitchhiker's Guide, right? The Hitchhiker's Guide of the mm-hmm. Galaxy, which. We Another couple weeks ago. pretty much mm-hmm. uh, almost unfilmable book, but they, they tried to do their best on that, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's sort of what we saw. Yeah. That's why the box office wasn't very good. The problem is when you decide early in a year to, to watch as many major releases in that year as you can, mm-hmm. you don't have any idea what the quality is going to be. Yeah. Like, you're, that's a shot in the dark. If you'd have done this in 1999, how freaking happy. <laughs> oh, it would have been amazing. <laughs> anyway, uh, there's a documentary, March of the Penguins, that came out. Yeah. Recently. That's yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. If you've never seen it, it will make you feel emotions. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, not always the case with documentaries, uh, but it's not very button pushy. Uh, well, I don't think it is. I don't know shit about Anar- Antarctic penguins, but, yeah. but the, you know, there's no Michael Moore down there shoving a mic in somebody's <laughs> face, yeah. going, you know, trying to manipulate some kind of a pull quote. This is just penguins being filmed and Morgan Freeman narrating over it. It's as good a time as any to point out that uh, nothing is like truth. Yeah. yeah. I tell my wife constantly, there is no pure source of truth in well, the universe. And, and you know, and this is the most famous example. Nanook of the North was one of the first documentaries that ever got made. And Documentary Now yeah. made fun of that, too. 
Um, but uh, it's one of those things where they were like looking for cool shots and they were trying to make things more entertaining and all these other, other stuff. So it, in the documentary, yeah, it happened. It happened on camera. Mm-hmm. They happened for the camera. Mm-hmm. They didn't do it organically. Nanook of the North is one of the most notorious of that. Like almost nothing in that movie is real, mm. but a lot of the techniques, the reason why it's considered still today, like, you know, uh, considered one of the all time documentary classics is that he did a lot of things with the camera that hadn't yeah. been done before. Um, you had some else? I have a few more, and I'm the, we may be getting into IMDb versus Google on the dates territory, so you can tell me, just cut it out, but I'm showing a history of violence came out this yeah. year. Yeah, I believe and it did. that is fucking fantastic. David Cronenberg. Yes. Well, and that's one of the only Cronenberg movies I'm likely to enjoy. Yeah, Vigo me too. Mortensen. Also based on a comic. Is it really? Yes, it is. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Everything's based on something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this uh, Vigo Mortensen's awesome in this. Yeah. It's a great story, great action. Uh, Liam Neeson wishes he could find a, a beat ass movie this good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm also showing Derailed with Clive Owen and Jennifer and Aniston. Yeah, which oh, I didn't yeah. like at all. You didn't like it at all? No. You don't see anything redeeming there. No, I, I didn't. I, I just don't remember enjoying this movie. I remembered enjoying it more than I expected. Yeah, I thought it was okay. Because I thought I was watching a, a love affair movie, and mm-hmm. it turns out to be so much more than mm-hmm. that. Uh, I'm showing Shop Girl came out in 2005. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Steve Martin, based on his own book, Claire yeah. Danes. Yeah. Uh, Angels Sent from Heaven. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Hitch? Yeah. yeah. We got to talk Huge about Hitch. Hitch. That was a big hit. And I, this is the movie I point to when I try and explain to people that I think Kevin James has talent. He just chooses projects that don't show it off. Mm-hmm. Because his... I think his chemistry with Will Smith in this movie is what makes the movie funny. Especially, and you can boil it all down to that scene where he's showing off his Q-tip and pizza dancing moves, and Will Smith's like, no. Yeah, <laughs> no yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a very atypical romantic comedy lead in that he is pudgy, he's an accountant, uh, this girl's way out of his league, everyone knows it. Um, and there's the parallel story with Eva Mendez and Will Smith, um, it's not perfect. I really think it's fun. I enjoy watching. It's still it. considered one of the one of the go to romantic comedies that have come out in the last fifteen years. Yeah. I believe. Like it's well, yeah. Will Smith is just charismatic and charming, and just I mean, he, you you love this guy. Yeah. Well, and you even get that flashback to when he was the exact opposite, and he's that loser yeah. outside the window crying. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I can connect to that guy. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I, I feel like Kevin James, he does Paul Blart. He does The Teacher Goes Kickboxing. He does, you know, the new t- TV show he's in. Where he, mm. I don't feel like he's just, I, I don't feel like he's acting. He's just picking terrible projects. But I feel like that guy is funny. Mm-hmm. We just got to get it out of him in a better setting. <laughs> or non-Adam Sandler setting. <laughs> okay, so so now I'm sort of going to go down the line, unless you have something big that you Those wanna... were the ones I wanted to mention. I'm okay. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith came out. Doug mm-hmm. Lyman, not a great movie. This is the beginning of Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. But you can sense that there's something going on there, though. Yeah. And apparently there was. This yeah. is. Let's not act like this is uncommon. Like... No, I guess not. Two leads who play lovers that end up leaving their real life lovers and be together. Uh It happens all the time. Yeah. Kingdom of Heaven came out. Ridley Scott came out with a movie that I did not like in theaters, but a lot of people swear by the director's cut of this movie, which I've never seen. I haven't either. Um, So I couldn't vouch for that myself, but a lot of people vouch for the director's cut. Uh, Hostel came out. Eli Roth uh, continuing that, uh, you know, uh, tradition of uh, super violence. uh, 
horror movies. Um, let's see, Constantine came out. A lot of people like Constantine. I like Constantine. You do? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not great. I think Rachel Weisz is actually really good in it. Uh, but <laughs> when he's, like, it's kind of like when Wolverine, like, his, his claws come out and he's like, Rogue asks him if it hurts. And he's like, every time. Yeah. When Constantine goes to hell or to the other dimension, he's like, God damn it. <laughs> he puts his feet in the water. Yeah. And he's like, I fucking hate doing this, you know? But uh, it's not great but it's it's fun to watch every once in a while uh we we mentioned before spielberg made two movies this year one was munich um and munich is another movie that i feel like is approaching greatness and then something about it pulls it back from that it's good mm-hmm. it's a good movie i love it knocked up where they all yes out oh munich <laughs> seth rogan's <laughs> like for once we got to be doing the killing yeah yeah we're capping motherfuckers <laughs> um let's see um cinderella man came out this to me might be ron howard's best movie wow i have it on my i don't really like it list um it's i think it's i think it's one of his best um apollo 13 probably is still his best his best movie Mm -hmm. this is right under it for me paul giamatti great finally gets nominated for an oscar in this and deservedly so Russell Crowe is great in this too, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, Cinderella Man came out at an unfortunate time, six months after Million Dollar Baby, oh, and yeah. everything. So people were boxed out. Pretty I'm much. boxed out still. Yeah, but we get, it feels like we get a <laughs> yeah. prestige boxing movie every goddamn yeah. or or two even. And this this was based on a true story, right? Yeah, this was Max Bear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it it's it's good. It accomplishes Sorry, what it, it was. James Braddock. He was fighting Max Bear. Yeah, oh, okay. Max Bear was the guy from the Thirteenth. Craig Bierko. Is he in the Thirteenth Floor? Yeah. All right, I got it right. Sweet. Yeah. You can call it the end of the world. He's also in uh, the the Long Kiss Goodnight. Yes, he is. Which yes. was. Written by Shane Black. Yeah. There you go. Um, Sahara. Only reason I bring up Sahara is because of Matthew McConaughey's horrible losing streak. Oh, uh, he's not having a good <laughs> during the aughts. Uh, I want to mention Tyler Perry, Diary of a Mad Black Woman. This is the beginning of what is a genius marketing for mm-hmm. some, for a director because he saw that there was an underserved audience out there. And as much as I hate a lot of these movies that have come out, like I feel like he get like. He gave that audience the movie that, you know, with they're not seeing in theaters, but he makes the same fucking movie over and yeah. over and over again. Now, this Boo of Medea Halloween that came out or whatever looks like a little bit different than his normal. It's you know, still made, it made yeah, bank. It though. made some huge bank. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's sort of revived his, you know, it's revived that whole Medea uh, franchise and everything for him. Like, as long as he does something a little different with it, I think he's fine. But he's, I want to know the non filmmaker perry like the guy who cameos in the star trek remake mm-hmm. or the yeah guy who's gone in girl the turtles 2 right or gone girl yeah that guy seems cool yeah i i, I only saw this first one of the medea type movies and it, obviously they're not making it for me um but I, I didn't watch the others to notice that they're basically the same. Yeah, this is the only one he didn't technically direct. After after this, he's on, he's writer director of everything, and he used, he went at the height of this. He was coming out with like two a year. Yeah, I bet you he's got billions from that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and it's and like I said, genius marketing. He found an underserved audience, and he went right after them, and he got he got that audience, yep. and he's got a huge following because of it. 
Uh, you mentioned the skeleton key. I really like that yeah, movie. It's a, it's a very fun movie. Yeah, uh, Kate Hudson, who's not having a great decade either. Mm-hmm. I always put her and Matthew McConaughey together as the their you know people had the worst time, worst stretch in this ten year period. But this is a really like underrated type of movie. Oh yeah, it's got a great mood. It's it's set in uh, Louisiana and it got a great twist ending to it. Yes, yes, it but does. The, the rest of the movie is good too. Yeah. Um, uh, Lord of War came out. This mm-hmm. is uh, Andrew Nichol, who, who was of Gattaca. He wrote Gattaca, and he uh, wrote... Uh, actually, I think he may have directed Gattaca, and he wrote Truman Show. He also did that movie, Simone, with Al Pacino, mm-hmm. or whatever. That, uh, he, that stole my idea. What? I don't know if you remember, but when, when we were working at the theater together, I would, I would talk frequently about an idea of a CGI actress that was so legit, they fooled audiences. Oh. Yeah. And then I pictured a comedy where like a Matthew Perry had to be her assistant to help perpetuate the ruse. Mm-hmm. But then somehow the police believe she's been murdered and mm. it becomes this oh, okay. romp. And then like six months after I started talking about this shit, Simone comes out. <laughs> like, oh, God damn it. Um, now, another movie that I'm pretty sure is 2006, but I'll mention it because it shows up here. Hard Candy came out. This is what mm-hmm. brought Alan Page into. Yeah, it's a, not an easy movie to watch. It no, not, it's not at it's all. It's a very tough movie. Very tough movie. Because she's think it's exactly pretty, it, pretty amazing. Though. Yeah, <laughs> she's exacting revenge on the guy who abused yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's hard to watch. Yeah, very hard to watch. But uh, but that that's the reason why Alan Page became what she became. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the New World, Terrence Malick. Oh, oh my God, ugh. such a great movie. This is a tale of two movies for me. Yeah, yeah. I think the first half of this is outstanding. I mm-hmm. would give a 100%. You should go find it and watch the first hour. Uh, it is the very best thing I've ever seen Terrence Malick do. It's ethereal. It's moody. It's a little awkward with the young age of Pocahontas because he was going for a little realism there. Um, but then when the second half switches over and we're more following Christian Bale and the house in Surrey or wherever the fuck they are, it's, it really kind of loses me completely by the time it's over. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Um, this is a a movie that's gotten quite a following since it came out. It did nothing at the box office, but it's, it's sort of gotten that sort of film student kind of cult following at this point, because it's one of those type of movies. Uh, Broken Flowers. This was a movie Bill Murray was uh, very close to winning an this, Oscar for. This is a very, very good movie. This yeah. is Jim Jarmusch doing a, a very relatable relationship based. Um, it's not a comedy. It's it's got its own moroseness, but uh, but it's a good watch. Yeah. Uh, Noah Baumbach did The Squid and the Whale. Mm-hmm. Another another uh, fantastic movie. We'll give some Capote love for thirty seconds. Go for it. Oh, just I thought his uh, performance I mean, was outstanding. Yeah, yeah it's Philip amazing. Seymour Hoffman is just badass. We go out of our way to praise that guy's acting uh, because it deserves it. So I don't think we can let this podcast slide without saying that dude was awesome. Yep. No, he's fantastic in it, and uh, and he won the Oscar for Capote. Oh, really? I believe he I won think he it. Did, yeah. What a crazy story! You talk about a biopic. I mean, that's the type of guy you want to watch a story about his life. You yeah. Know? Yeah, and then like I remember like just it was it felt like a maybe six months later they came out with that other capote mm-hmm. movie and there were a lot of people who who liked that one better but i i never saw it was that. the one that focused on in cold blood right yeah, yeah 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 um but uh also harsh times a lot of people love the david Ayer christian bale uh movie i like that movie but 
Training Day and other movies he's been involved with are, are far superior. Yeah. Uh, Siriana came out. This was, it seemed like this was a huge George Clooney, Clooney year because uh he was in this he he directed good night and good luck and mm. all that and uh and uh good and uh siriana was a movie i didn't really like i didn't like that at all but good night and good luck is good yeah it is very good uh talking about the uh basically the red scare and the mccarthyism mm-hmm. and all that stuff that was going on back in the day and i love david strathairn in yep. that movie so much he's perfect yeah, I mean, Edward R. Murrow was just, you can imagine him in our media landscape now. Like, he was just fed the fuck up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I would I would definitely recommend going to that. That's just some good history being, mm-hmm. you know, uh, history-type filmmaking. Hustle and Flow also came out. That was a big yep. deal. 3-6 Mafia got the uh, Oscar for their... They did. No, it's hard a, out there for a pimp. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's Terrence uh, Howard's... Probably his best performance. I yeah. Mean, and I think he was nominated too, right? No, he Jimmy Fallon got it for Fever Pitch. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fever Pitch. Yeah. We keep bringing that up. Because uh, the World <laughs> Series was last night and the Cubs won. That's yeah. right. Yeah, baseball on the brain. Won. Yes, Terrence Howard did get nominated for that. So uh, what's the order? So the order is Barrett, Jeremy, and Chris. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. This is a hard year to pick a winner. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's it is. like yeah. last year. Uh, well, we had the opposite problem because last year there were so many great ones and this one there's just so many okay uh so my pick is gonna be match point oh wow. uh, okay because i think it it is it's my favorite of this year uh talked about how it's an atypical woody allen movie but there's enough there where you can recognize it and the performances are great that's my pick uh brokeback mountain nice and uh even if the second hour is a little too depressing and starts to lose me by the very end scene uh, that first hour is 10 times better than most movies that are great. Mm-hmm. Like first hour is just amazing. And I, I could watch it right now. We said a bunch about this earlier. The performances are all outstanding. This is a heartbreaking movie and all the people behind the scenes were firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brokeback mountain wins. All right. Um, all right. All right. Uh, this is, you know, I mean, this is Ang Lee and everybody involved at their very, very, very best. And it's, it's hard to pick against it. Um, I don't know how else. I mean, if you're someone who doesn't believe that gay people should be a thing, you're never going to like this movie. <laughs> I'm yeah. glad somebody addressed those people and it didn't have to be me. Uh, but you're not wrong. No, I mean, is that something out of line? No, no, no. No, I mean, no. not at all. Okay. No, that was the that was the movie's problem. That, that was why it was a lightning rod, because half the audience was like, this is great. And half the audience started making jokes yeah. where the word broke back became a substitute for gay. Right. It is a fantastic movie, though. Yes. Um, so, yeah, Brokeback wins it here. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about uh, our favorite holiday movies. What's this? What's this? Holiday, oh, holiday, and the best one of the year. Holiday. On holiday. Holiday. We are a holiday. And the bells are ringing out for Christmas Day. It's a Festivus miracle! Um, since we're coming up on Thanksgiving, Christmas, and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for you Canadians, Boxing Day. <laughs> yeah, you and your little Boxing Day. That's how they say it. Yes. Um, but uh, uh, anyway, uh, let's talk about some of our favorite holiday movies. Uh, Jeremy, take it away. All right. Well, there are only a few Thanksgiving movies so i concentrated a lot of my efforts on christmas movies which is generally it's where we get our best holiday movie 
Netflix. Yeah, I mean, no one at a studio is going, we got to make a Thanksgiving-centric movie. Those make bank. No, yeah. It's not like that. There's no Santa there. So you, Anyway, um, so we've mentioned before, I know, Barrett, you love Elf. Yep. Um, Muppet Christmas Carol. These are annual watches for me. White Christmas, which everyone in my entire extended, fa- extended family can quote front to back. Oh, yeah. My mom and her sister fell in love with this movie when they were young. And by the time I was five, we were watching White Christmas every single year. No kidding. By the time I was 10, I was quoting it. By the time I was 15, I was saying the lines ahead of the actors and pissing off my mom. Uh, now I have two cats named for characters in White Christmas, Wallace and Davis. Uh, it's probably my very favorite Christmas movie of all time. Was White Christmas where White Christmas came from? Or no. It was in Holiday Inn, it was in wasn't Holiday it? Holiday Inn. Yeah. Um, but another little factoid I love, in Holiday Inn, they did... For whatever reason, that that inn decided Lincoln's birthday or President's Day was a holiday worthy <laughs> of being open. Hmm. And there's a song called Abraham, and it's really slow. But in White Christmas, there's a dance number called the Abraham number, and it's instrumental, and it's the same melody sped up like ten oh. times fat. Dun 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 dun. And in Holiday Inn, it's It's basically Moon River as far as like the Um Another one I watch every Christmas is Scrooge, the musical. Oh, yeah, yeah. Came out in the 70s. Um, What's weird is this was another one mom showed us every year when we were growing up. Um, But I would always fall asleep or leave the room at the end when he goes to hell. (laughs) It scared the shit out of me. Mm -hmm. It really did. Uh, But my brother and I then got to college and realized... Hey, nobody knows this movie. Like, we're trying to sing the songs like Father Christmas, Father Christmas. Nobody knows it. I I met my wife and I was uh, trying to make a reference to that. I like drinking the thing I'm drinking song when he meets the ghost of. uh, (laughs) Anyway, uh, I don't feel like anybody's ever seen. Who was the Scrooge in that? Was it Michael Caine? Albert Finney. Albert Finney. Yeah. yeah. Um, Who would go on to be in a Bourne movie of all things. (laughs) Um, It's really long, too, uh, the the musical Scrooge. And that's Uh the thing about Scrooge and Christmas Carol movies is that there's 50 million of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, when you're asking who's the Scrooge in that, I was like, maybe George C. Scott? Well, that's the one my wife grew up watching. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Everybody's got a, like, Miracle on 34th Street. There was really only one of those. Mm -hmm. But there there are dozens of Scrooge movies or uh, Christmas Carol movies. There's even a Mickey's Christmas Carol. There is. And there's even a Bill Murray Scrooge, which I have on my list. I was actually going to ask you about that because this is the musical, but there wasn't a musical before that. Is that whole pretense of them doing a live network show and scrooged was that based on the musical scrooge might, be, might have been because it's so over the top and they get like merely red scrooged is one of those movies that everybody forgets when they talk about bill murray uh-huh. and it's a little before what about bob and groundhog day i think it's after ghostbusters yeah it's about 88 yeah um but it's just loopy enough they probably wouldn't make this movie this way today they gave bill murray just enough rope uh-huh. to ad lib and leave some of it in but i think it's really funny Oh, it's uh, hilarious. And I, I try and watch it every year, but uh, those are my must-watches uh, <laughs> right there. He is such a terrible person in that movie. Oh, he's awful. He is such a terrible... I mean, it's it's so over the top. With that uh, special he's got with the Santa in a tank or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, every decision that he makes is just the most heartless motherfucker. Yeah. And I guess if it's anybody except for Bill Murray, a handful of other people... It would turn people completely off sure. for it, but uh, he he pulls it together great. And Bobcat Goldthwait is is funny as Alfred hell. Alfred Woodard it. is in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, way before anybody knew who she was, and she's really good. Carol Kane and uh, uh, the guy from the New York Dolls, David Johansson. Oh, okay. 
Um, it's interesting that you mentioned Bill Murray because he did a Christmas special last year on Netflix. Oh, yeah. I heard it was terrible. I, I heard the same thing. I watched it. I loved it, man. Oh, really? <laughs> it was great. Even the Miley Cyrus stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, no. The Miley Cyrus stuff was awesome. Okay. Yeah. I mean, she she actually did like a, a nice, I think it was Silent Night or something like that. Mm-hmm. She did a nice like traditional Christmas carol uh, and Clooney's in it. Um, and then David Johansson and a couple of other people, they're sitting around this bar and they sing this song from a, a band called The Pogues, which is an Irish punk band uh, called Fairy Tale of New York. And it's fantastic. It is so great. It's a great moment. The thing is just kind of absurd over the top in the in the first place. Uh, but I thought it was a lot of fun. I will probably watch it again if it's on. I might have to watch it year. then. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. What else you got? Well, if we're going to talk about Christmas, I'll throw in a couple more. Uh, of course, Nightmare Before Christmas, we talked about when we talked about that year. Um, it could be either a Halloween movie or it could be a Christmas movie, or it could really be anything in between. Mm-hmm. And so I start watching this movie right around Halloween and then just keep it on repeat uh, for the Funny rest story. of the holiday season. Today, my wife was leaving to go to the grocery, and I was leaving to come here. And she said, uh, now we talked a couple days ago about watching Stranger Things together, because I still haven't seen it. Uh-huh. A friend recommended it to her. But she said, oh, by the way, while you're still podcasting, I might go ahead and watch and I was like, Stranger Things? And she was like, oh, no, Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> I wanted to know if you wanted me to wait for you. Like, that's how important that movie is. I mean, we're like three days after Halloween here, and she's probably going to watch it ten times before Christmas. There's something about, it's one of the only holidays, Christmas, where music is really intrinsic to it. Mm-hmm. And my my favorite Christmas movies, just like you, are, are the ones that have great music in A White Christmas, Holiday Inn, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, you know, all that stuff. And even the Bill Murray special. You know, if you have that element in there, it gives you the goosebumps, especially that fairy tale in New York. If you ever listen to that, it's great. It's about a, mm-hmm. a Christmas Eve in the drunk tank. Uh, but yeah, so that that's that's fantastic. Uh, my one of my favorite, if it's probably my favorite uh, Christmas movie of all time, is Home Alone. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, and there's a couple. Of, you're going to talk about another Christmas movie that's not necessarily a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. And with Home Alone, you just think of it as an action comedy, throwing this precocious uh, eight year old. But it's very much a Christmas movie, and it'll make you feel uh, all the Christmas uh, feels. And uh, it just makes me happy every time I watch it. it. Makes me hysterically laugh every time that I watch it. And it it kind of gets a little dusty in the room when Catherine O'Hara comes home and. Uh, he has that moment where he pouts for a second and then he breaks into that wide smile. Man, uh, it's a lot of rare innocence. that a, a comedy has such a memorable score or piece oh, of yeah. theme song. That oh, yeah. Anyway, I love that movie. I'm it's, a, it's got two themes. It's got that and then it's got the... Man, yeah. No, I, I I listen to that score a lot, especially around the holidays. Yeah, yeah we were all perfect age when Home Alone came yeah. out. Oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Perfect. It's become, a, it's become an ad bonafide classic uh, yeah. over the years and everything. I love Home Alone. I haven't seen it in forever now, but, oh, it's, yeah. uh, but it's great. They, uh, I actually don't mind Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Yeah, that's something I definitely haven't seen in forever. <laughs> uh, Tim Curry is is really funny in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got you've actually got a cameo by Donald Trump in that. Uh, oh wow! Oh that yeah, movie. that's right. Uh, but it's a ridiculous premise. The first one is a ridiculous premise, uh, but this is way absurd. Uh, but it's still got the same heart, and it it's still fun. And <laughs> they take the whole house booby trapping thing up another notch 
And it's still funny because you've got Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci uh, that are that are perfect in those roles. Uh, it's a retread, but it's it's one that's just familiar enough to be happy for me. Yeah, uh, Christmas movies I I obviously grew up with, and I think everybody has, and I don't need to really rehash them. But A Christmas Story is one. That, mm-hmm. Of course, they still on TNT or TBS play that twenty four hours, before, you know, during Christmas Eve and yeah. Christmas and everything. A Christmas Story is just one of those just all-time great, just fun comedy classics and everything. Um, It's a Wonderful Life. I know that's uh, a worn-out, you know, Christmas suggestion and everything, but because it, it's awesome, it's yeah. really that awesome. It I really mean, is. if you know, I mean, it's a movie that I could watch over and over again, and it's uh, it's perfect. Um, but the movie that you're talking about that isn't uh, isn't very you know considered a Christmas movie is Die Hard. Yeah. Yeah. Ho. Um, although. Ho. <laughs> yes. Now I have a machine gun. Ho. 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 Um, but like uh, it's it's got Christmas all the way through it. It's all it's in the backdrop of everything, you know, like uh, just because it happens over Christmas and all that. But like I think over the I think over the years, people have started to cite it more and more as a holiday movie. Yeah. Even though it is a uh, slam bang action pick. Uh, with, <laughs> slam bang. That's right, man. Slam bang. Slam bang. No more table. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, it even has it has Christmas music all the way through it. Uh-huh. It's got, you know, but uh, yeah, definitely not a Christmas movie per se, but set all around Christmas. Yeah. So uh, it's perfect. And Die Hard is one of the I best. think there's Christmas songs in the movie. Yeah. All the, the weather outside yeah. is frightful. And they yeah. even have the Run DMC, uh, Christmas and Hollis Queens. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Um. Now you mentioned Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving definitely doesn't have very many great movies. Almost all of them have to do with an extended family coming back home yep. to eat Thanksgiving dinner and they're and they're all they're dysfunctional and that's what's so great about it, whatever. Um I hate all those movies. I don't uh, like them. Yeah, every one of those movies are <laughs> terrible to me. I don't think they're good. Uh one that came out though, uh that is centered around Thanksgiving is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Yep. Mm. Yeah. I mean and that's the Thanksgiving movie, I guess, right? Yeah. I mean, really, when you comes down to it, this is the best Thanksgiving movie you can come across. Steve Martin is hilarious in this. John Candy is hilarious mm-hmm. in this. Perfect matchup of two of two people who are at the height of their comic powers and everything. You couldn't get guys who were more different and and in everything about this steve martin's irritation <laughs> is so palpable and earned without this. this do you think we ever get tommy boy isn't probably tommy, not tommy boy owe itself to this yeah oh, oh yeah, yeah for sure oh, definitely for sure yeah absolutely um but uh but you know this is a movie that that basically is is it's a PG movie mm-hmm. except for one scene <laughs> and it's, so and it's cool. glorious. <laughs> yeah. so awesome. Oh, it's so glorious because, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those, I, I, I think why it resonates so well is not just the fact that everything is fucking this and fucking that, mm-hmm. and, you know, four fucking wheels in a seat, <laughs> you know, and all that. Uh, I think it's, it's so relatable when we have to deal with people at counters a lot of times because they don't know the situation. All they know is what's in front of their computer or what paperwork they have and all the other type of stuff. And, um, and so like 
you know, he comes back and says the car isn't there. And she's like, oh, well, I guess you're screwed, you know, but it's, it's, but like the whole thing of him just going through that, just, you know, she's like, I, he's like, can I help you, sir? And he's like, yes. <laughs> 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 that, that look on his face. <laughs> you can start by wiping that fucking dumbass <laughs> smile off your fucking face. <laughs> that's uh, great but i love it so great well there is another thanksgiving movie that's atypical and it actually takes place over two thanksgivings it's hannah and her sisters mm-hmm. uh, which is a woody allen film from back in i'm talking a lot about woody allen here yeah. but uh back in the 80s um and it's great i mean it's it's kind of how this family falls apart and then comes back together uh not in a schmaltzy way uh it's it's really fun it's th- you would not confuse this with any other director this is a very woody allen movie yeah uh but it's it's really good it's got his whole like regular cast of characters and everything uh one of the husbands marries another one of the sisters after divorcing one of the other ones and uh mia farrow diane weist all that stuff yeah it's it's, it's good stuff good thanksgiving movie. i haven't seen it in forever but i i, I did enjoy it when I watched a lot it. of the things i was thinking of trying to come up with holiday movies with Frasier episodes because <laughs> Frasier has a lot of great holiday themed episodes there's mm-hmm. a thanksgiving one where uh-huh. they in Boston trying to get their son into this Frazier and his ex-wife Lilith are trying to get their son into this prep school that's super prestigious so they decide to make a visit over to the headmaster's house it's Thanksgiving day mind you um and they just basically they make a fool of themselves they they get back and they're second guessing maybe we should have made him let him know this school's our first choice because all we said was that he had other offers let's and then they keep thinking of excuses like i lost an earring or what have to go back over there they get over there they, they have hack, actually ruined this poor guy's thanksgiving turkey by interrupting him so much they go back to where niles and steph Fraser's dad are and steal that turkey from the oven and take it over to the headmaster's <laughs> house and the subplot is niles and the dad watching the son and they're just injuring the fuck out of this kid. The whole episode, <laughs> he breaks out in hives. He gets, like, poked by something. Uh, it's one of my favorite Frasier episodes ever. But anyway, <laughs> just thought I'd shout out Frasier nice. a little bit. Um, if we're going to do all the holidays, I want to mention one thing about New Year's Eve movies. Okay. Because there's a couple of what I think are fun New Year's Eve movies. I, I, New Year's Eve? New Year's Eve movies, I'm yeah. saying New Year's Eve the movie? No, not that <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> But I like this probably more than you guys do. Uh, Four Rooms, and yeah. I don't. I don't think it's a good movie overall. Well, the Robert Rodriguez part and the Quentin Tarantino exactly. part are both great. They they are great, and then Tim Roth is great. Yeah, he I is. mean he's playing the bellboy uh, from uh, the Jerry Lewis type of thing, mm-hmm. and it's all screwball, and he finds himself in weird situations and everything. Uh, there's a great Kathy Griffin <laughs> cameo in mm-hmm. this. Uh, but that's a fun New Year's Eve movie, seeing how things, you know, kind of coalesce around this one guy. The other one is a movie called 200 Cigarettes that Which a lot I've of people seen. haven't seen. I've never seen but it. But let me give you the rundown of the cast of this movie. It's a it's an ensemble piece about, you know, people coming together in 1981 uh, to, to one party, uh, a party where Harvey Danger is actually playing as Ooh. the house band, by the way. But the, uh, the film has Ben Affleck, Casey Affleck, Dave Chappelle... Janine Garofalo, Gabby Hoffman, Kate Hudson, Courtney Love, Jay Moore, Martha Plimpton, Christina Ricci, and Paul Rudd. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's a pretty good cast. It really is. I mean, it's so cut to death that uh, it, it kind of loses it, like any momentum that it builds. But it's a fun movie, and it's it's based around New Year's Isn't, Eve. Isn't uh, New Year's Eve prominent a couple times in When Harry Met Sally? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah absolutely. I've always classified that as a New Year's Eve movie in my head. Yeah, I, I did. I wrote that down in our emails. Uh, was one that I was thinking of. It, it's definitely not like a New Year's Eve movie per se, because it goes over a whole bunch of years in their lives and everything. But it ends on the New Year's Eve thing where he finally professes his love to her and all this other type of stuff. But, but yeah, I, I can, yeah, I'd, I'd consider that a holiday movie in some way. Do you guys go Passion of the Christ or Hop for best Easter movie? Hmm. I'd like to do a double feature. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Which one do you like to do first? Passion oh, of the Christ? Passion of Christ, obviously. <laughs> Passion of the Christ. Fact, you know, I make a sandwich. Mm-hmm. I watch it before and after Hop. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Just <laughs> talk about making a Passion of the Christ sandwich <laughs> you, with do you, rabbit meat. Do you, stick, yeah, do you stick irreversible in between <laughs> both of those oh movies? God. I'm a sucker for glutton for punishment. Yes, you are. Um, there, yeah, I mean, Easter movies, there's not like anything of that. Mm, there's not, not really. like really... Yeah, I mean... Other than the movie Valentine's Day, there's not even Valentine's Day movies. They just put romantic comedies out at Valentine's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so holiday-wise, we really, really already covered what the... Unless you want to talk about Arbor Day. Yeah, well, we missed Halloween, uh, but we did talk about all the horror movies when modern horrors came in mm-hmm. here. But obviously, Halloween yeah. is the uh, the best Halloween movie yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. It's so weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> I got to rep Hocus Pocus for my wife because ah. she'll smack me around if I don't. I hate this goddamn movie. Yeah. <laughs> she loves it. It has legions of fans. And I just read yesterday, all three leads have publicly said they want to make a sequel. What, oh. What's taking Disney so long? And my wife geeked out about that. Wow. Much. So wow. that is a Halloween-themed movie I know lots of people love. I can't stand it. It's, now, there's a movie that's a cult classic, because that didn't do anything either. No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, that's something that uh, didn't do anything, and now suddenly everybody remembers it, like, th- that you're around. You're like, oh, I love Hocus Pocus. Really? It's going to, I get you, I think it's going to get a nostalgia sequel. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, looks like it. All right. Well, uh, we're ready for some Q and A. I think. Let's do it. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I'm listening. Okay. The first question is: What would you say are some classic films that are still influencing filmmakers today, long after their release? Uh, one of the examples that this questioner gave was The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, um, which they described as Tim Burton esque. I could see that. Uh, and also Christopher Nolan owing uh, half of his filmography to Sunset Boulevard's beginning. Uh, and that's that's interesting to me. But uh, what do you guys think is a film or even like a, a slice of the filmmaker that's still influencing things today? Man, I'm cynical about this question because hmm. I'm not sure very many people are influenced by anything that came way back in the past anymore. Hmm. Movies are so different now that if you say that, oh, I took my inspiration from, you know, Citizen Kane, like, well, I didn't see anything Citizen Kane in that, uh, you know, like Paul Thomas Anderson recently did Inherent Vice and he said Airplane was a, was an inspiration. And I, and I remember when I watched the, when I watched the movie, I was expecting, I mean, there's like maybe two type of airplane gags in that movie, maybe a, maybe a couple more, but not to the point where i'm like you were totally influenced by airplane weren't you you know it's 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 stuff like that where people say that and you're like really no i I, that 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 can't be true um but i am cynical to the point now that i believe michael bay and armageddon is probably the uh, influence for most people (laughs) That's horrifying. You're probably not wrong. <laughs> Sad as I just described. I knew I knew people through my movie theater career, like who had grown up basically as kids through Michael Bay movies and everything, and said that he's the guy that I want to emulate, basically. 
But why? I I don't know. We have talked also on this show about Pulp Fiction and its influence. Yeah. And whether or not that it's still felt today, there was a good decade there where people were trying to ape what Tarantino had done in that movie, whether it was storytelling or sequencing of edit or mm. shot styles or what have you. I, I lean more to Chris here. Like, I think it's easy in a educational, intellectual discussion to link almost any two films together and say this is influenced by this i think you can see that where it may not exist so what i wrote down for my answer to this question is a cheat and it's that radio broadcast of war of the worlds that orson wells did where people actually thought it was a real alien invasion and Uh freaked the fuck out and that's i think found footage movies today are trying to go for that make you think it's real like blair witch was basically a horror film version going for that same kind of reaction yeah um but again, I, I lean more towards Chris. I think films have changed so much just just in the last 20 years. Because mm-hmm. we, we talked about that era and Untouchables and Hunt for Red October and those films were coming out. They don't make movies like that anymore. Yeah. Die Hard. They, they would not shoot that movie today the yeah. way it was mm-hmm. shot then. They'd shoot it like Taken. And we'd get 13 cuts of Hans Gruber falling to the ground. And, um, <laughs> and we're getting, I mean, the people who are who are good and who are up and coming and everything... Um, they seem to have their own little flavor. Exactly. Um, they, they, uh, I mean, you can, you can say, well, some of this is Scorsese or, you know, you can say some of this might be a little bit Tarantino or whatever. Uh, but I don't really see like people emulating stuff from, you know, I mean, you may, I mean like, yeah, people like Tim Burton, Christopher Nolan, all these guys may still have some sort of you know influence from the past but like anybody who's coming up now who's making any kind of movie seems like they have like it's either spielberg or it's michael bay or or whatever um i do think a lot of the sci-fi movies that come out owe everything to 2001 Mm -hmm. they try to do a 2001 type scene they try to make things quiet they try to you know have like real moments of tension and everything so a lot of the sci-fi movies we see are maybe influenced by 2001 but you had some directors who like owed some things to, and they tried to emulate, you know, everything that they did. Like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson definitely has Kubrick and Altman mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. DNA and his stuff. There was a guy, Todd Haynes, who doesn't make very many movies, but he owes a lot to Douglas Sirk mm-hmm. on his movies. Um, uh, but he doesn't, I mean, none of, I mean, Todd Haynes doesn't make a lot of movies. Yeah. He does, it's not like he, his fingerprints are everywhere in our movies we watch today. Uh, it, everything I see, especially like big comic book movies and all sort of type of stuff, have a lot of Michael Bay DNA in it, where it's music video type editing. Uh, no real, no real care about what you see in you know the uh, the action and everything. Just a whole bunch of stuff like slapped together and this is you know we'll throw in a f- couple of funny lines so that everybody's entertained and then you know we call that an Are you not entertained yeah <laughs> um so you know maybe further study uh required on some of these directors but i'm more cynical about this question no it's interesting to hear you say spielberg actually because the vibe that i get from stranger things is very spielberg yes you know uh but, but that's, I mean, that's intentional more that's more homage than influence isn't it that's an interesting distinction yeah actually. yeah i guess so i guess yeah. maybe if, although if you could say that maybe there's not that much difference between those two well things. I, what came to mind when i was thinking about this is bruno mars's i know it's a different thing but bruno mars's new song 24 karat magic is just a blatant like it's not a blatant prince ripoff 
but it's very similar. I mean, the sounds are the same. The vocoders. It's also tragic stuff. because I want to hear that guy sing, and he just keeps doing this rap shit. He's shouting, but but that's the difference. I mean, obviously that's a big influence, the P funk and the yeah. Prince influence. But you could call it also an homage too. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that line kind of uh, bifurcates it, but. Yeah, no, it's an interesting. It discussion, is an interesting though. discussion. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I ultimately I think you could probably pick out cherry pick any number of scenes that people make today and say, well, that's kind of like, yeah, you know, this person. But I don't really think anybody looks dead back to the old ways anymore. Maybe mm. some some things here and there, lighting wise and all that, but I just I just don't see it. Okay, next question. How do you guys feel about end credit scenes, both as movie fans and former movie theater employees? Mm-hmm. Fuck them. Fuck yeah, em. I can't stand this fucking <laughs> shit. To give your disclaimer, except for the shawarma scene at the end of Avengers, which is a moment of humor. Yes. Not a tease. Mm-hmm. Not a trailer for another film. Yep. Not something I have to go Google, except right. for what the word shawarma is, because I didn't know when I saw that movie. But um, other than that one, fuck them. It's a treat. It's a treat. And what I'll make the comparison is, you don't have to listen to the silly outtakes that we put at the end of these podcasts. Sometimes they're like eight minutes long. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're 30 seconds long. But what it is, is just, it's not essential to it, but if you want to listen to us talk a little bit more, that's what it is. But right. That's the shawarma scene right there. It's Imagine just, our um, outtakes were us going, now next week, we're going to talk about this, this, and this. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just using it as, as an advertisement. I think I wrote in my email to you that what was once a rare treat has been has morphed into, this is basically TV shows saying, next time on... Yeah. Right. Yeah. You well, have to have those, those previews. Uh, you know, as the question is phrased towards movie theater employees and everything let me tell you this that first off especially i i can only speak for my experiences at the hollywood 27 where we had to cover all this acreage of of screens and stuff is getting out left and right and you have a very bare minimum staff as it is already uh you go into a movie that is sold out and everybody's left their shit there because hey that's what the ushers are paid for which is bullshit and if you say that you're an asshole yeah um they they have to go in and clean that up or else they get bitched out and all this other type of stuff and people start not wanting to go to your theater anymore because it's always dirty and everything so the only like real chance that these people have to clean this theater and then get to the next one that they have to get to is to be able to clean it during the credits. Yep. Now, there are people out there who like to watch the credits even if there isn't a special scene. And by the way, fuck you too. Because, <laughs> you, because I know that you probably, when you grew up, you and your dad or somebody were like, hey, let's let's pay attention to these credits because this is these are the people who made that movie. We're being respectful to them. Fuck you. Go to the IMDB and be respectful. <laughs> fuck you and your dad. Yeah, fuck you and your dad. Um, because, because, yeah... I understand that you want to, it's, you feel like it's part of your experience and everything. Sorry. In this modern day, it's, it shouldn't be a part of your experience anymore. (laughs) You should be able to go to the IMDB and look at all the stuff that you need to look at and see who did the Foley artists and all that other type of stuff. (laughs) You can, you can, it's not like in the eighties where you're like, Oh, I wanted, I want to know who did this and that. For that matter, I know what the Dr. Strange and and mid credit scenes are because I read an article about it and that movie came out in the UK last week. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't even need to watch, take a watch to see what it is. So ultimately what, and what's also horrible about these, you you guys touched on a lot of those 
But ultimately, though, those scenes don't matter. There, There's mm. nothing about those scenes that make you go, man, I'm glad I stayed around for that. Ever. No. There's been 20, 30 of these things now, and every single one of them that I have stayed around to watch, the entire fucking auditorium is like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, except the shawarma scene, which I think made everybody laugh. Yeah. But it's still pointless. It right. doesn't need to be there. Yeah. So, yeah, ultimately, yeah, as a movie theater employee, fuck them and fuck you for watching them. <laughs> yeah, I agree. All right. Time next, for another one? Yeah, we got time for one more. What are some of the best deleted scenes usually found on DVDs and Blu-rays that you think should not have been deleted to begin with? And I've got the all-time answer. Do it. So they did a miniseries called The Godfather Saga uh, a long time ago, and they chronologically put The Godfather 1 and 2 movies together. Fantastic. And it's great. Now, we're we're actually in the minority, I think, because yeah, a I lot think of so. people don't like this uh, putting this together like that. Um, it definitely has its strengths and weaknesses, but it does have a, a couple of awesome scenes that I wish were in the original. One of them is a very small section after the wedding reception where Vito and all of his sons, including Johnny Fontaine, go to visit his dying consigliere. And there's a moment there right before they go into the hospital room where Vito and Michael sit there and or stand there and talk for a second about what his plans are going to be after he gets out of the military. And he's, you know, he's asking, like, you know, what he's going to finish school. And he's like, all right, well, after that, I want you to come to me and we're going to talk this over. He even says, like, I approve that. Like, the understanding that Michael has and the understanding that Vito have are completely different. And what it does is when he comes to when Michael comes to the hospital bed, when Vito's in there later on after he's getting shot and he says, I'm with you, pop. I'm with you. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. That makes that so much more poignant. Yeah. Because it's got that beat where he's like. No, I'm not going to I'm going to separate myself from this, but you see like and that's why he has that little smile on his face when he when he says I'm with you. Mm -hmm. That's anyway, awesome. It's cool. Yeah. Well, I'll give lip service to the original I am legend ending that everyone prefers to the mm. one they left on the film. But my answer to this is actually uh Wrath of Khan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because mm -hmm. when we were doing the sins video, we went out of our way to make fun of Scotty because this random ensign kid dies or is dying and scotty is bawling like he is just devastated and it doesn't make any sense well there was a scene they cut where that character is introduced as scotty's nephew ah and so you leave that one little scene in there we actually get emotional payoff from scotty instead of me scratching my head going why does he care about this one ensign over anybody else that just died <laughs> yeah well, actually other people dead down there but this is the one <laughs> he's crying about but it makes more sense when you realize he's blood so, mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. Um, mine, I've only seen this one time, so I'm not going to be able to recreate it with the, the way you did that Godfather thing. Uh, but you might be able to, to cut to, uh, I'll give it a shot. Uh, it's almost famous. Oh yeah. Jason Lee basically talking about what it means to be a rock star and all that other. Type oh, of that's stuff. not the one I, I don't know that one very well. Yeah. I don't, I mean, it's a, it's a big long, like him talking and yeah. there's like, you know, scenes going over his dialogue. Yeah. yeah I've actually seen that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great. It's not in the original uh, movie at all, but once you watch the untitled version of it, it's him talking, um, you know, basically about all this stuff about what it means to be a rock star and all sort of stuff. I yeah. think that's, I think that's the gist yeah. of it. 
Uh, but it's just one of those scenes by the end of it, you're like, man, I was just mesmerized uh, listening to Jason Lee. Doesn't in the movie, maybe this is an extension of that, he does this bit in the movie where he's like, I make people get off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, it's when I was researching this last night, I found another one for Almost Famous, and they apparently shot a scene where the kid plays Stairway to Heaven for his mom in its entirety. Oh, really? The, the, the scene is silent, them sitting there listening to Stairway to Heaven and making, you can watch this on YouTube, but then they couldn't get the rights mm-hmm. to use stairway even uh, though they got zeppelin to give them rights for the other song right and i think what happened is that's when they sh- decided to shoot the girl playing simon and garfunkel for her mom ah. to sort of explain the passion of music mm. uh but i would love to have seen eight, like an eight minute scene of somebody yeah. listening to stairway <laughs> yeah. just everybody reacting differently <laughs> yeah that'd be awesome all right, that's going to do it for this uh, Sincast. Uh, keep going to SoundCloud and uh, giving us your thoughts. Another huge week of comments on yeah, SoundCloud. We, we like love that it a lot. It's great. Yeah, it's fantastic. It shows that you're engaged, and uh, that's uh, all we really care about is whether or not you like uh, listening to this What shit. I like about SoundCloud, by the way, is that you can you can see when they leave comments. Yeah, it's timestamp. Yeah, it's timestamp where it's like, and there'll be people that'll be like, I hope they talk about this. And then 10 minutes later, like, yes, they just fucking talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Or That's that fun. poor bastard who was so distraught that we never voted any of the Lord of the Rings movies yeah. best. He's like, I guess I'll just have to wait. Yeah. I'm not going to give the best of the year to any of the Tolkien movies. Yeah. I felt bad for that guy. If we, could, if we could choose all the movies that you guys are favorites, <laughs> we would. Yeah. That's actually like literally impossible. Yeah, so. it literally is impossible. <laughs> But uh, anyway, we hope that you're still enjoying it. Anyway, that'll be the Syncast for this week. It's Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Una for, God damn it, Una fortiva, lagrima. <laughs> una, una for, this has totally been worth it. Una fortiva, lagrima. Ah, there we go. Be terrible. You're people. gonna cut that out, right? <laughs> <laughs> so there are two highly regarded co- uh, horrors that. Ca- <laughs> there are two, <laughs> two highly regarded horrors. <laughs> God damn it! After Son that. of a bitch! Fuck! fucking channel i hate him can we still can we talk more about how much i hate sin city <laughs> can if you want it's gonna be a long podcast because you got oh, lots of angst God. and hate <laughs> you really i didn't realize you hated it that much no it's such a bad movie yeah it's such a bad movie and it's treated like it's a classic and i don't get it i don't either fuck it i was 28 years old when that movie came out perfect been, perfect yeah. timing for me yep. I, i'm not it's not because i'm old yeah yeah no it's not yeah but you are old. I'm old now. Yeah. But back back then <laughs> I wasn't. Now. Back then I'm I was. 37. I'm not. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that now. God, I'm stupid. No, I mean we talk well, a lot about stuff. <laughs> well, I mean we're always stupid. We're always like sitting there going, "The fuck did we talk about?" <laughs> hello, Barrett. Well, hello, Barrett. It's so nice to have you back where you belong. Did you ever hear a song called "Hide and Seek" from Imogen Heap? Yeah. I, well, I freaking love that song. Fucking love that song. It's uh it's yeah i don't know how to describe that song but i wish there was more songs like (laughs) yeah because it's all acapella and uh 
processed and all that stuff. He did that song. Do you, you ever hear that Bottoms Up song? I don't think so. It was uh, Nicki Minaj. It's a song about alcoholism. I tend to avoid Nicki Minaj when I can. This is this is in her heyday. This was right after she did Kanye's Monster. Remember that? that it, I'm a of, motherfucking monster. I avoid Kanye too. So <laughs> <laughs> One of the, the lines from the Nicki Minaj thing is like, 50K for a verse, no albums out? Ha. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. Every time I see a Nicki Minaj song, she's always like trying to find some way, somehow, to come up with some new way to say, that guy's got a big penis. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe one day she'll just make that the lyric. Yeah. That guy's got a big penis. Yeah, exactly. And everybody's like, whoa, Nicki blew our minds again. She actually went out and said what she was thinking. <laughs> There's a part on Monster, actually. She's like, think quick, dick ass, give him whiplash. <laughs> That was pleasant. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Actually, the sound wasn't bad, but watching you do that was really uncomfortable. <laughs> it's, it was like, fun. it's like the Seinfeld where it's like na naked, uh, like oh, uh, there's good naked and bad naked. Uh, naked coughing, not good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, naked crouching, not good, because then she started to cough. And he's like, you see muscles pop out that you didn't realize existed. <laughs> <laughs>